Welcome to the Arms Race. This is the podcast where we try to determine which action star has the highest body count in movie history, currently by watching every Sylvester Stallone movie one at a time. I'm Kevin Keane. And I'm Mike Olson. And today we'll be discussing Rambo, released by Lionsgate and the Weinstein Company. On January 25th, 2008, starring Sylvester Stallone, Julie Bentons, Paul Schultz, Matthew Marston, Graham McTavish, Tim Kang, Ray Gallegos, Jake Labatz, Mong Mong Kin, and Ken Howard, written by Art Monterstelli and Sylvester Stallone, based on the character created by David Morrell, directed by Sylvester Stallone. Remember when there was a Rambo Saturday morning cartoon? <laughs> and, then, and then you watch this movie? You want to talk? All right, let, let's just start right there. I, is, <laughs> That's why I wanted to start. I'm trying to think, is the last, last episode we discussed Rambo, was it The Force of Freedom? That bonus episode, or did we do... No, I think we did two, and then Force of Freedom, Freedom and then, then Rambo 3. three? I okay. think so. Because if that was the last time we touched on Rambo, wow, what a different side of the spectrum. I mean, even from Rambo 3, it's a pretty uh, yes. crazy jump. I mean, Rambo 3 ends with uh, Rambo and Trotman being like, I guess we're getting soft, huh? Well, this movie is the opposite of soft. Yeah, no. When I was putting together my notes... Thinking about our point of our podcast yeah. and how I've said how there's times where I feel a real like heaviness, like, man, you know, this is too callous. But always with the backdrop, what the point has been is it kind of came out of our love for 80s cartoon type action movies. And it's fictional. It's all fictional. Yeah. It's I all mean, fictional. But man, this does not feel fictional. And I don't think it was intended to be that. It is intended to be heavy. Yeah. So that all said, it's like, oh, man, this is just such a different tone from the types of action movies that we normally like to watch and discuss. It is very different than, you know, obviously uh, with this movie piggybacking on a real world you know, situation. And that makes it tough because, yes, everything that happens in this movie is fictional. But, um, you know, given that it's yeah. set in Burma and there's actual atrocities happening there. I mean, that's obviously I probably think, pretty close to reality. Yeah, I mean, if if it is exaggerated, it's exaggerated with a purpose of, you know, obviously, I don't know anything about Burma or what's going on or Myanmar or now that it's called, so I couldn't say, but I think it's safe to say that if it's exaggerated, it's exaggerated with the purpose of calling attention to, you know, the situation there. Um, you know, I think like like any situation, it's probably, I'm, I'm certain it's more nuanced than, if this is a 90-minute movie, and even that is 10 minutes of credits, this is essentially an 80-minute movie. So you're not going to get, you know, the full, you're not going to tell the entire story no. of what's happening there. You know, and like any Rambo movie, I mean, you, you look at, uh, I mean, I'm not comparing the two situations in terms of, like, world history, but you look at the way Rambo 3 de- depicted the war in Afghanistan, it was obviously very one-sided, and so I'm not saying that I'm I'm not trying to defend uh, the regime. I'm just saying I'm sure there's more nuance than, but even still, I'm you know, I think you're right that this movie, because it's so kind of violent and and brutal, and because it's taking place in a you know, where a real world kind of situation like that is happening, uh, it is very different and it is tough to. We're going to try to have a fun podcast, but, you know, it's, it's Very tough. Very difficult. Yeah. yeah. As I was watching it, it is interesting and kind of funny that you bring up Force of Freedom because I, for some reason, just in my head, and it's probably because the title is just Rambo, all I can think, all I could think of was the cartoon Troutman 
get me Rambo yeah. is all I could think of. But man, is this so far from that? I mean, totally. It's totally. It's so far from that. But also, the plot is basically an episode of Rambo: The Force of Freedom. Because <laughs> you think about the opening uh, titles to the cartoon, and it's like anytime, anywhere that uh, evil forces threaten the peace-loving people of the world, there's only one man to call. Get me Rambo. And that's the plot of this movie. There are peace-loving people of the world who have some job to do, and they say, get me Rambo, and they need Rambo's help to do the job that they're trying to do. You know, you and I have talked about this on on this podcast before, and I think this movie tests this theory of, we always say, you know, you know, we, you and I both grew up, obviously, watching violent movies yeah. and cartoonishly violent movies. And as you said, that's kind of the movies that we like to talk about. And, you know, we started off talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. But you and I, I think, have both said that that's probably not a good message, you know, a good oh, thing to see as yeah. kids of consequenceless violence. You know, violence as, you know, treated flippantly as not a serious thing. And this movie does treat violence as a very serious, very brutal thing. And, uh, you know, even when Rambo is the one killing the bad guys, and they're very bad guys, and, you know, we should be, and we are, rooting for him to come in and save the day and kill the bad guys, there's no sense of triumph no. anywhere in this movie. It's, it's depicted, even when Rambo is the one doing the killing, as a real tragedy, that it's taking its toll on him, you know, and the whole PTSD angle has come back fully, and I think it's one of the best moments in this movie is... His dream sequence—it's—it's it's incredible. It's—it's it's one of the reasons why I love this movie. It's—it's—it's it's, it's perfect. I love it. I love that that montage. So yeah, I mean, you know, we can plot-wise, it's—it's it's the most straightforward, probably of all of them. <laughs> it's so you other know, than John Wick, it's maybe one of the most <laughs> straightforward yeah. plots of all time. Yeah, but I like—I like the simplicity of this movie. I think it is very effective what it, what it's trying to do, whether or not. You know, it it can be rough to watch in spots, yeah. especially when it's the villains carrying out the violence, because that is just unvarnished cruelty, and it's tough to watch. And it's definitely a new period in the Rambo franchise, no doubt. No. Yeah, and it, and it continues in Last Blood, and so I'm, but but I mean, we've been talking a lot about the shift in tone in the series, and I think I think it's probably it was probably a good idea to take it in this direction as opposed to continuing what Rambo 2 and 3 did. Yeah, and so one of the things that I had, you know, in my notes, but we'll pull it forward here, is that another aspect that I found to be interesting, and I think it also then led... Let me take a step back. So introducing the idea that Rambo is not... That there were other mercenaries, and it wasn't just Rambo, was a change from the franchise previously. Mm -hmm. Certainly the tone is, and I actually like the choice... Even though in the end, Ram- Rambo is—I'll just say it right now—it's not going to be a surprise who wrecks the most shop. Oh in this no, movie. It's ne- it never is. <laughs> no, it's still—it's still a Rambo movie. Even, yes. even though the tone is different, he is still the ultimate killing machine, and that yes. has not changed. But so the introduction of you know other mercenaries, I thought was interesting, and it, the tone is different. But I feel like it then set up basically the Expendables to exist, and you kind of then got. I'm not going to say it the, the continuation of the cartoonish, you know, Rambo three, but you kind of do in the Expendables, right? So I think yeah, you, oh yeah, oh yeah. in a way, and again, I I didn't go and read to see if you know the Expendables ultimately springboarded from this, but the renaissance of Sylvester Stallone, I think, made kind of you know between Rocky Balboa and this, made the Expendables possible totally. And so I I feel like kind of, and maybe this is just me projecting. I feel like the seeds were planted a little because there's very much of kind of the the group of of those mercenaries feel a little bit like the Expendables. So I like to think that we got our 
Rambo 4, in a way, of the cartoon Rambo with the Expendables, and then clearly with the Expendables too, without a doubt. Yeah, I think the difference between these mercenaries and the Expendables is this movie portrays it as there's a dis- there's a difference between Rambo and these guys. I mean, some yeah. of the, some of those mercenaries are better than others. Some of them are are you know like there's um, um oh, Choir Boy is that his name? Uh, no, Schoolboy. Schoolboy. And, like, he is obviously, like, you know, based on his name, he's a good guy, and he is, like, you know, a moral person, whereas some of them are less so. No, and Some I, of them I, are literally just mercenaries, yeah. and that's what they are. And, so I, I think but that, I like that mix, too, and I think it's a good decision, but I understand yeah. your point of the contrast with the Expendables. They try and make them all to be heroes. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're all kind of... They, they, there's a pose of we're mercenaries and we're out for ourselves, but at the end of the day, they're all heroic, and they all have... They, they all, they're all the, the schoolboy, you yeah. know, they all have that position, except for uh, Gunner. Dolph Lundgren, who <laughs> betrays them in the first movie and then is contrite and right. comes back. He's fine in the second. Yeah, so uh, whatever. <laughs> you you want to have Dolph Lundgren in the second movie, so <laughs> you, all is forgiven. Um, but we've been talking a lot about the change in tone, but I'm just curious, did you like this movie? I don't think we've really gotten there. Okay, so I, it's hard to say to, that I like a movie as kind of heavy as this. I The change in tone, I don't disagree with. I think it was a good movie. I think it's tough to watch, and so sometimes movies that aren't repeat viewings for me, I wouldn't necessarily. I don't want to say that it's not a good movie, but it, it, it's one that I think it would be tough to to have that I want to you know put back in and watch a bunch of times. Yeah, okay, if that makes sense. That's kind of where I'm at because yeah, I also think it's a really good movie, and we should talk about the director's cut because. Uh, while preparing for this episode, I discovered there was a director's cut, which I had no idea. And I, I've owned this movie on Blu-ray forever. I have, I've, I have the whole Rambo set. Yes. Well, not the first four. It was, it was the whole Rambo set at the time I bought it. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think the interesting thing about watching the director's cut, which the title is John Rambo and the director's cut. And I, okay. w- I wonder if this is the cut that was released internationally, because I know that was the title elsewhere. So I, I I didn't do enough uh, research to find out if this is the case, if that cut was the one that they got like in the UK and stuff. But it's the violence is way, way toned down. And it's actually, oh. I feel like it was a cut that was making an attempt to get it more in line with Rambo 2 and 3 in terms of the tone of it. Okay. And I think it's a way worse movie oh. as a result. It, it it The whole, th- it just feels defanged. And in the... as much as it's tough to watch the violence in this movie, I think it's kind of essential to accomplish what Sylvester Stallone was trying to accomplish. The, what he, the movie he was making was a movie where violence is ugly and visceral and, and disgusting. It's interesting you say that, though, since the director <laughs> had made it, and the director's cut, you think, actually takes away from it. It's Sylvester Stallone. I, right? I, it, it felt to me like Stallone second-guessing himself, of going, like, oh, this is too extreme and too intense, and I shouldn't have made it this intense, and I, I, I want to pare it back. And I think this movie did okay, box office. I mean, we're going to get there in a second, but I mean... You know, and my sense wasn't that it was a failure. So, but if it if it had been a failure, I could see a, a world where he was like, "Oh, maybe it was too intense, and this, cool. audiences couldn't deal with this level of violence." And so, I'm going to try and pare it back. There are other differences. We can talk about that when we talk about the plot. But it, I mean, would, it would be difficult. To, this analogy probably won't work, or this comparison question won't work because of the plot of this movie. But I, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to watch it. But is it? Director's cut like Donnie Darko, where it completely undermines. It's not that bad. Okay, it's not that bad. But if it has, that, it has a similar feel of a director going, "People are totally misunderstanding this movie. I got to fix I'm, this. I'm going to show them." Yeah. Whereas I think, I think it's the, funny because that's the that's like the standard for me when I say Donnie Darko is the movie where it was accidentally that the edit, yeah. <laughs> the editing crew 
turned and created a really watchable and great movie. Because if you watch the director's cut, it's like, what is this? Yeah, Richard Kelly thought he was making, like, Primer, <laughs> but he accidentally made a David Lynch movie for teenagers. <laughs> he accidentally made a brilliant David Lynch movie, and then he went, no, that's not what it's supposed to be, and he tried to fix it, and it was a disaster. Anyway. So uh, it's not that. It no, just, no, 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 It just, lo- I, didn't, I didn't think so either, but it loses the... the and it's still violence. It still has, you know, the the Burmese army killing villagers and stuff. Right. Like all that. All the scenes are there, but it's edited around the most extreme moments of violence, gotcha. of like literally arms being cut off, yeah, children being thrown into fires, and just really, really t- rough stuff. Oh, there's a ton of it. Yeah, and it, 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 there's a ton of it. And but that's that's kind of why I wanted to bring it up here is because. You think, oh, I don't. This is too much. They should pair this back. But then you watch that and you go, this movie isn't as effective. I mean, it just as much as as tough as it is to watch in spots, it, it is emotionally affecting. Yeah, especially if, as you said, the the point of the movie and what you're trying to drive home uh, is to highlight the atrocities and what violence is, you know, can be and, and really is like. Yeah. And not just in Burma, I think in general. I think the whole point right. of this movie is no, no. that violence destroyed Rambo. He, t- he talks about how he, he wasted his life. Yes. You don't expect that in a Rambo movie. And I think it's interesting using this character no, to and tell then, that story. You know, to tone it down does get away from the point. And the movie wasn't trying to glorify, right? So it's different right. if you're trying to glorify one, and it's not. So you're, you, I think you're right, is that by toning it down, you're kind of missing the point. You could very easily see a version of this where that ending sequence, we'll get to it, and I'm sure we'll, you know, I mean, it, there there are some moments where you're kind of going like, oh, geez, like, you know, like, Rambo, holy crap, you know, but you could see a commando version of this movie where yeah, that whole can. ending sequence, you're going like, yeah, you're, I mean, but you're not, you're not. Not rooting or cheering is no. just like you're just like tensing your teeth like yeah. and in anyway, comparison what, to commando that's probably good because you're right there is a there there's a there's an alt universe that that movie could have a completely different feel and tone and would be just like john matrix well it would be like that's that's the thing that's crazy is because commando and rambo 2 were you know released around the same time and were kind of com- competitors with each other and have I mean, they're not too far off from each other. Rambo 2 is more serious than Commando. It's not... I mean, Commando's pretty silly, which is why we love it. <laughs> yeah. But imagine taking, you know, Matrix and doing this treatment with Matrix, how how strange and impactful that would be. I mean, that's just... That's what blows me away, is they took Rambo, this pop culture character, and made this movie with it. I think it's really a brave thing for Stallone to do, especially coming after Rocky Balboa, which was his big, like, return, and everyone was like... You know, I mean, that's a much more hopeful movie. We'll be doing that next episode. But I mean, to just to make this movie, I just find it to be a very brave move on Stallone's part. And I give him a lot of credit for just choosing to do this with this yeah, character. Yeah, go down the path. It's amazing. Uh, anyway, should we uh, get started? Let's on do it. All right. What day is it? What year? All right. January 25th of 2008. Uh, so Rambo on the Rotten Tomatoes, you want to wager a guess? Both the critics and then audience score. I'm going to guess critics are kind of in the middle. I'm going to say like 65%. No, not that high. Critics were very, very tough on this movie. I was surprised. I had never seen it and watching it and then starting to put together my notes. I was surprised. Uh, I wasn't as surprised by the audience score. Uh, And I also was not surprised that um, the audience score was higher than the critical score. No, no, no. Especially a movie like this. Yes. The critics, 38%. That's um, yeah, that's too low. I think that that is yes, too low. Audience, you were very close, sixty nine percent. So a lot, uh, okay, nice, lot, lot more popular on the audience side. All right, so a fifty million dollar budget for Rambo, according to IMDb, 
And you're right, it was a relative success. Domestically, not as much, but worldwide, um, a little bit more so. So total box office of just uh, over $113 million with uh, about 42.8 domestic and about 70.5 international. So wasn't a rousing success, but still probably at least after you know marketing and all that probably broke even is, is my guess. That's pretty good for a franchise that had been gone for 20 years. <laughs> for a long time. Yeah. Yes. I mean, th- th- this is a pretty big change in terms of budget because Rambo's 2 and 3 were both, I think, at the time the highest budgeted yeah. movies ever. In both instances, so yeah, yeah whatever it was, would you say $55 million? 50. Like, yeah, no, in, yeah. in 2008, that's nothing. That's pretty modest. I, I shouldn't say that. It's a modest budget. It's a, yeah, for, for the kind of movie they're making, that's, that's pretty reasonable. All right, so the opening week for Rambo, it did not open, number one. It was very close. Oh, that's surprising, in January. Uh, I would yes. have thought this would have cleaned up in January. Meet the Spartans. Oh, was the God. <laughs> that's embarrassing. <laughs> Have you seen that? No, but it's one of those. We talked about these, the the, the movies we that killed to, the parodies. Yes. You know, we were trying to come up with them. Apparently, the number one movie in America in January of '08 was one. That's that's when we did uh, Hot Shots Bart Do. We we yes. went through like the modern parodies and how they're so terrible that they killed the whole genre. Well, meet that's the, one of them. Meet the Spartans opened at number one. I don't care if it opened at number one. I I don't have to see it, and I don't have to. I don't have to take the fact that it was number one. <laughs> To not know, it's, I, I know the movie's terrible. Well, it made $18.5 million in its opening weekend. Fine. Rambo was number two at $18.2 million, so very oh, close. Very close, actually. okay. Yes. Uh, number three, a rom-com in its second week, 27 Dresses, which I think is a Katherine Heigl movie, I think. That sounds right. Uh, I haven't seen it, but that's what I think. Okay. Number four, J.J. Abrams, Cloverfield, in its second week of release at $12.7 million. I'm going to get, yeah. That seems low. I remember that being kind of a phenomenon. I thought so, too. And it's the, the previous week, it was number one. Um, so I, I hmm. must have, maybe it had, le- and it's not, I mean, it, its total gross at this point was $64 million, So it had a pretty big opening week. And maybe it just wound up having legs beyond its second week. I don't know. Because I thought so, too, that it was kind of a phenomenon. I mean, I didn't love that movie, so maybe it had bad word of mouth. Could be. Uh, number five. The second Cloverfield was pretty good with John Goodman. What was that one called? Cloverfield Did, Experiment or something? I think so. The Cloverfield Paradox is the one set in space, and I didn't see that one, but I think that I've heard that one's bad. <laughs> What was, you, what was that? You know way more about this franchise than me. Well, because it's one of these like cobbled together franchises that doesn't District actually. Nine? Is that? I, I've never seen District Nine, or oh, okay. I, I didn't even know there was a franchise around District. I don't 9. know if there's a franchise. For some reason, it felt like it came out around the same time, so I thought it was part of. No, that's not a Cloverfield movie. Okay. No, the, the the John Goodman movie, which is a pretty good movie, and it was just it was called something else, and then at the last minute, they're like, let's just put the word Cloverfield in the title, and we'll say it's a Cloverfield sequel. <laughs> Serious? Yeah, and it kind of it's unfair to that movie, which I, was I thought was say, a good that's, movie. That's kind of a bait and switch. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, I, I I think it's a shame that, that movie is a Cloverfield movie because I think it's better than I've that. never seen it. So. I didn't love. I, mean, I just think the original Cloverfield is not good. I love big monster movies. I just bought fifteen Godzilla movies. Like it's that's right up my alley. I just I <laughs> that hated is the, way I, more in your wheelhouse than mine. I, I hated the way they uh, approached that, but whatever. whatever. Number five, uh, it opened, its opening weekend was at number five, so it's not, must not be a good movie. I don't know it. Untraceable with $11.3 million. I don't know what that is. Uh, number six, The Bucket List, which I think is like Michael Douglas, I think. Is um, Michael Caine in that? Might be. Is oh, Morgan Freeman, maybe? 
It's, the, much, it's one of these old guys movies. It's just like Wild Hogs. Wild Hogs. I think so, but there was also one... Get a bunch of old guys together and there was a wacky one, We might be thinking about the one that was in Las Vegas. That, I, that I, might be the one with Morgan Freeman. There's a lot of movies like that. They all run together. Uh, yeah, they do, and they were not targeted to us either. I uh, feel like Morgan Freeman wasn't that, because I feel like I saw... Or maybe De Niro's even in it. I, I, feel, like I, I, I feel like I remember a trailer where Morgan Freeman's just like, I'm going skydiving, and he jumps out of a plane. <laughs> It's called the bucket list, so it's like yeah, all these old guys doing things yeah. they never got to do. I think I I do think you're right. I I can envision Morgan Freeman jumping out of a plane. <laughs> I don't know, and he's not the president of the United States in no. the uh, oh, what are those the the uh, not Olympus has fallen. Yeah, the Olymp the the fallen franchise. He's the president in one of those at least. Yeah, he's also the president in Deep Impact. He's also God in several. <laughs> That's movies. right. He's had some. Some big jobs in, yes. in major motion pictures. All right, number seven. I have seen this movie. Uh, Juno is in its eighth week. That movie, uh, that movie was, a, was a big hit for, for a small... It was a Fox Searchlight picture. Uh, Michael Sarah and Ellen Page, I think, is uh, in Juno. Yeah. It was I, okay. I liked it at the time. I wonder if it holds up. That's a good question. I think I liked it at the time, didn't love it. I feel like now it would but feel too cutesy. It could be. And also, Michael Sarah is kind of worn on me as time has gone on. Gone on. Yeah, I don't remember him being in that movie that much. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the two of them—they're—they're they're the leads. I—I eh, I, I seem to remember it was more—it was more. Uh, it's more Ellen Page, but no, it was more the other guy from Arrested Development, um, Jason Bateman. I feel like he was in that movie way more than than no. Michael Sarah was. Now I almost feel like I got to go back and watch. So here is a franchise and an actor I know you know and love. At number eight, in its sixth week. Total gross in six weeks, $205 million, National Treasure, Book of Secrets, and Nicolas Cage. I've never seen those movies. They look I terrible. I will defend Nicolas Cage. They look like, they look like dumb action movies. Like, they, they don't... I'm sure they're perfectly fine. I'm sure they don't they're look not, because it's Nicolas Cage. We covered The Rock. We both love The Rock. Yes, there are some movies that happen to have Nicolas Cage that I enjoy. That's, that's true. Watch Vampire's Kiss. Well, let's go great. to the opposite end of the spectrum on the acting scale from Nicolas Cage. At number nine, in its fifth week, a much smaller picture, so only $14.8 million with four and a half, four point eight actually in this particular week, There Will Be Blood with Daniel Day-Lewis. That is the polar opposite on the acting ability scale. They're not opposites. They're on different axes. <laughs> That's not the same thing. Are you saying that Mike Daniel Day Lewis is an actor who is going for naturalism and realism, and that's why he's great because he's very good at that. Nicolas Cage is going for the most stylized, like you know, it's an intentional thing with him. He's going for he he talks about how he he tries to act like they used to act in silent films, where it's all it's all it's very stylized and very you know deliberately artificial. Doesn't make him bad. If you don't care for it, fine. But I don't think saying they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. They're on different spectrums. Yes, I'm gonna they defend, are. I'm going to defend Nicolas Cage. He's doing that. It's not that he's a bad actor. He is. He's. An, I, I. I respect Nicolas Cage for taking those risks. It doesn't always work. He's not always good. <laughs> Very rarely works. No, I think he's much better. All than right, rounding out the top ten, Mad Money with four point six million dollars in its second week in release. <laughs> CNBC show or whatever. When, <laughs> that, what channel is that? That's actually it is CNBC. It's uh, Jim Cramer, but no, I do not think <laughs> Jim Cramer made a movie. I guess. What is Mad I, Money? I actually might like to watch that movie. <laughs> All right, let's get. It would be just as intense as Rambo, <laughs> just a different kind of intense. Let's get to the TV ratings, shall okay. we? 
Oh boy, this this is going to be a lot of fun for me. Somehow we have not had a, this this year because I would have remembered this. Oh no, because I mean he was pretty much yeah, kind of two thousand. He, he directed and wrote this movie, so he was probably was busy for a full year working on this. <sighs> Number one mo- TV show in America, American Idol Tuesday. How about number two? American Idol Wednesday. Very good. I got to think that they... It would be funny if American Idol Tuesday was number one and American Idol Wednesday was like number nine. People are, we're not watching Wednesday. I guess it depends on what the competition is. Let me give you number three through five. I'm sure The Apprentice is still around. Dancing with the Stars Monday. Dancing with the Stars Wednesday. Dancing with the Stars Tuesday. (laughs) So Tuesday, people were tuning out a little bit. We're busy Tuesday. No, they were over watching American Idol. I guess that's true. Yeah, maybe that is. All right. Or they just can't take three days in a row of dancing. It takes, we need a break from all this dancing. It takes getting down to number six to get a scripted show. And I know. Yeah, it's look, 2008. I know it's 2008 and it's peak cable TV. I get it. But still, number six, that is pretty bad. And it's Desperate Housewives to boot. <laughs> I have no opinion about Desperate Housewives. I've, I've heard people say that that's a good show. Uh, number seven. CSI, Crime Scene Investigation, the original. Yeah, the original is still the original number one. still hanging in there, yes. At this point, there must have been at least three or four of those. Oh, easily. So, yeah, it's the fact that it's still the top dog of all the CSIs. Number eight, House. Number nine. House was a good show. I watched House. Uh, I, I knew Hugh Laurie you know, was supposed to be good and never saw an episode. I really liked House a lot. I mean, okay. it, was, it was still a very, like, not what's the opposite of serialized? Uh, episodic. It was yeah. still a very op- episodic show. Every episode was a particular case, and it, it got very formulaic. Oh, he makes a diagnosis, and then the end of the act two, it's wrong. Oh, he was wrong. And then he, they think about it for a while, and then, of course, they get the right diagnosis. And <laughs> every episode, it was very formulaic, but I just I liked that character, and Hugh Laurie was good on it. So what you're saying is that he runs an antique store, and all of a sudden, somewhere in the episode, he's getting people out of a gym? Uh, kind of. He was getting much more involved in his patients' lives than a doctor should. I'll tell Any you that. doctor. <laughs> or I should say his team got way more involved. Every episode, they would break into someone's house. That was kind of a running joke. We need to find out what's wrong. There must be like, you know, he'd be like, there must be mold in the house. Go break into their house and take samples. <laughs> sounds <laughs> can't do like, that. It sounds like their malpractice insurance provider's worst nightmare. Yes. The whole idea was it was like a medical Sherlock Holmes, where he was like a brilliant mind, but he was like a total a hole, and yeah. um, you know. It, but it, it's as, as formulaic as it was, and okay. every episode is the same. But it was still a very good show, All right. as those kinds of shows go. Number nine, Grey's Anatomy is still it's still on the air and was in the top ten at least back in two thousand eight. Don't know about now. Number ten, Sunday night football, not Monday night football. Wow, that's when the NFL had changed, and Sunday night became uh, got the better rights because monday night moved to espn well and all oh, okay this is after i was gonna say this might be the dennis miller years of monday night football <laughs> which may be the, the cause of that no because it's on nbc so this is when it shifted yeah, and monday night moved to espn yeah, okay. that was that was years before this right yeah. oh yeah that was yes. like five years before this yeah and at some point uh, wasn't not only dennis miller before that didn't they have rush limbaugh for a period of time he was definitely on espn and it might have been monday night football i don't think he was ever in the booth he might okay. have been like a halftime guy but yeah I, no, I maybe totally he forgot on, about he that. He was yeah. on ESPN. They, the ESPN, they they certainly were willing to take take risks on having people in the booth. Yeah. All right. Well, that stuff. It was a different time. It was also, yeah. It was it was a gimmick. Yeah. All right. The S and P five hundred uh, is at thirteen fifty four eighty seven, and you go 
a few months later, it's not going to be looking as good because okay, it's the beginning of the financial crisis. That's true. Uh, January 7th, NBC announces the 2008 Golden Globe Awards ceremony will be canceled due to the Writer Guild, Writers Guild of America strike. Network oh, announces yeah. the winners in a one-hour news conference. Yeah, that's right, because this would have been the first year of Breaking Bad, which was shortened because of the strike, so that yeah. makes total sense. Well, certainly interesting in history, because Breaking Bad takes a very different turn because of uh, a key character because of the writer's strike, and certainly, in my opinion, for the better. Yeah, they probably would have made that same decision. Hard to say. Don't spoil it. All right. Don't spoil it. <laughs> How many years removed are we? It's, still, it's a show that people are still discovering. I guess. All right. January 20, uh, 28th, President George W. Bush delivers his final State of the Union address. Okay. February, because he's not going to be president any longer after 2008, because it is an election year. Yeah, I don't think you had to explain that. I think, I think right. people understand. His final, because no one allowed him to give another one. He was banned from Congress. All yeah, right. it was his last year. His last year as president. Hey, don't rule out the concept of being banned from giving the State of the Union at Congress, because it almost happened it recently. Almost happen, so yes. easy there, Professor. All right, February 3rd, the New York Giants defeat the heavily favored New England Patriots 17-14 and uh, played at the University of Phoenix Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. I do remember that uh, that was quite the shock. Yeah, that wouldn't have been this. This is January, so what, yeah. what, what round would that have been? February. No, not round. It was the Super Bowl. In Jan- this is January 25th. No, I just said February Oh, you're 3rd. going ahead. Okay, got I, it. I went I'm sorry. I was going yeah, I was thinking like wait, that's AFC NFC. Okay. No, I I I went ahead a little bit. Cuz there wasn't a lot in January of 2008, so I cheated and went into February a little. That's bit. A, yeah, my memory for Super Bowls is not great. Well, I have to remember, I have to go back and look at some clips. Oh, you don't remember the the pass from Eli caught on the top of the helmet? Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, so that that was that Super Bowl. Okay. Uh, and then February 5th, U.S. stock market indices plunge more than 3% uh, after a non-manufacturing ISM report on business shows signs of economic recession in the service sector. More to come as the months yeah. go on in 2008 and 2009. That sounds like underplaying it. Uh, it, it was just the very beginning. That's, that's well, some, some people knew, but most people didn't know yeah. what was to come. Uh, on the uh, New York Times bestseller list... The Da Vinci Code. No. <laughs> I feel like that was on there for years and years, but I guess... Uh... I put a little time in this one. Not a, a little bit of time. But Plum Lucky by Janet Ivanovich. So I looked it up. I wanted, I wanted to know what this was, because it's not one where it's, oh, The Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown. I know what that is. I've heard of this book, but I don't know what it is. So apparently it is part of like a, a crime, crime novel mystery series. It is the 16th part of her series dedicated to, I liked this, Bounty Hunter Stephanie Plum. So I clicked through and I wanted to learn about this. Uh, this particular book, this just was amazing to me. I kind of want to read the book after I read the, this. I've heard of the series. Yeah, go ahead. Diesel and Stephanie. I'm assuming Diesel is, you know, whoever her partner is in the bounty hunting business, whatever. Sure. End it up, sounds like a bounty hunter. Yes. End up teaming up with a strange man who thinks he's a leprechaun in an effort to save a horse named Doug. <laughs> That does sound pretty good. That's a New York Times number one bestseller if I've ever heard one. That's honestly the leprechaun part. It had me. I'm like, I kind of want to read this book. It's really burying the lead there. It's like a man who thinks he's a leprechaun. Like it's like it's not a big deal. It's just in the middle of this sentence. All right, and the Billboard 100 is actually a song that I do know, and it's not good, but it does bring back 
kind of a smile on my face. It is Low by Flo Rida. Oh, sure. We saw it. Uh, uh, featuring T-Pain. Excuse me. I need to give credit oh, yeah. where credit is Don't due. Don't forget T-Pain. Yes. Yeah, we saw a gorilla sing it, so of course we... <laughs> it's, I forgot. <laughs> of course we're familiar with this song. Nick Nolte, the gorilla, sang uh, Low by Flo Rida. So. <laughs> and he was punching the roof of a band. Yeah, yeah. How could we forget? That's that's always what I'll think of when I hear the you know when that song is mentioned I'm going to think of Nick Nolte as you're, a gorilla. You and the greatest oh man it, was it a TGI Friday I think it was a TGI yeah, Fridays. It was Fridays and the greatest TGI Fridays that has ever yeah. ever existed on the planet. Go back and listen to our Zookeeper episode. I have a feeling more people are listening to our Rambo and Rocky episodes than Zookeeper. <laughs> hey, but if you want to hear our careful. full discussion about this gorilla that sings Florida songs and goes to TGI Fridays. <laughs> It's actually worth <laughs> worth seeking out, I would say. You be careful on that because if you looked at the play numbers, Zookeeper actually, and Spy Zookeeper. Kids Three have a surprisingly high for us, surprisingly high number of plays. Yeah, I don't know what the Spy Kids thing is. That I might just be millennial nostalgia. People are searching Spy Kids. I don't know where all those plays are coming from. But, but the, you're right. The Zookeeper, Zookeeper got a lot of plays. A lot of plays compared to like some of our actual action movies. It has like twice the number of plays. Yeah. Well, I think that is one of our better episodes. Maybe really the is. word has spread about the Zookeeper episode. Much like the word spread about that TGI Fridays. Hey, there's a gorilla in the TGI Fridays. <laughs> you got to check this out. Go the word is spreading about us discussing the gorilla. Oh, you got to check out this discussion. He's about, wearing a polo shirt. Yeah, he's eating 30 and slow dancing with a waitress. I'm going to go back and listen to that. It is a memorable sequence, I'll tell you that. Yes. I mean, it, it's, un, it's it's about as, as far away from Rambo as possible, oh, I'll tell you, you that. It, that. You know what? Thank you. This has lightened the mood significantly. Now we've got to get back to the real bit. <laughs> now let's talk about the plot of Rambo, yeah. which is the most depressing thing ever. You want to talk? We'll talk. I'm a sucker for good conversation. All right, the big picture. This is the segment of the show where we discuss the plot of the movie. Yes, you were done, right? Uh, I was on history, yes. Thank okay. you. Uh, yeah, this this is a very straightforward movie, plot-wise, without a doubt. Yeah. So, I mean, it basically starts with a little bit of setup, uh, news reports, and uh, about, you know, Burma on- slash Myanmar. And yeah, the, the ongoing conflict. Yeah. Um, with some real news footage, which I think that sets the tone more than anything. Big just, time. That, that's the part I'm not sure I think was a good idea. Is showing you know real news footage of real violence, and that's 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 the toughest part to watch because it's real, and it's right. you know, you can, obviously there's nothing funny about that. Uh, but yeah, you get a little bit set up. There's a little there's a quick scene of like army soldiers just sadistically, you know, they they throw a bunch of mines in a rice paddy and make these villagers run across for their own amusement, and you know, um, again, it's just it's it's pure sadism. Yep. And so it, it says, it, even though the villain of this movie, we never really learn his name or anything about him. He doesn't speak English. There's no real character there. It's all done through stuff like this. I'm just like, this is the most evil person you could imagine yep. here. So, um, yeah. And then we find Rambo, who is a snake wrangler. He right, he gathers snakes for this snake show. He's he's still in, he's back in Thailand, I should say. He's a one trick pony. He's getting the wrong. He, he's not getting snakes that are in demand. No, that's true. He, they, the guy wants a python, right? Yes. He's bringing too many cobras. It, it was one of the, it was actually one of the few moments of levity that I had in my notes is that poor poor Rambo is just he's a one trick pony. He's getting the wrong wrong inventory. Well, what's funny to me this is uh, this is for a later segment, but I'll I'll move it up because the funny part of that 
it's just a very brief moment where the guy's like, why are you bring me so many Cobras? Uh, is I love the idea of Rambo with a job who has a boss. <laughs> Rambo dealing with his boss is just so funny. Just the well, idea. Come on, he, the idea was of his it. boss. He was his commanding officer. It wasn't really a. You know, it's a different dynamic having a job and you know. <laughs> it is true. Than because, being a soldier. Well, because this guy is just this soft-looking guy who runs a snake show in Thailand, and you know he's bossing around Rambo. Hey, come on, Rambo! You're Killing not doing machine. Yeah, exactly. Rambo is Rambo, and this guy's like, you're not bringing me the right types of snakes. <laughs> you know. It's just very funny to me to have Ram- have to watch Rambo put up with this like you know mealy mouth guy just like <laughs> you know having a boss to have to put up with that. Uh, I think because this is the only time we ever see him oh, yeah. earning any kind of living in any of these movies. You know, because yeah, I mean, he's busting rocks in prison. Yeah, he was in prison, and then in in three we find him at this. I mean, he, he's working. He's he's helping out around the temple, this Buddhist temple. That's in three. He's he's helping with the roof. There's no sense he's earning any money. No. He's just living there, and he's helping out where he can. Yeah. So this is the first time and only time. I'm mean, spoilers for Last Blood, but this is the only time in the series oh. we, we see him working. I anyway. haven't seen that, so thank you for ruining that. Well, I guess we'll talk about it in Last Blood, but I don't believe he has any kind of income in Last Blood. Okay. So I just find that dynamic funny that you know he's got a job. Fair enough. <laughs> you know? He has a job, but we don't see him doing much of that job because he's going to get hired for the job that he's the best at. Um, actually, no, because they just need a boatman, right? They just need someone who knows the river. And can take them to the spot upriver. Because Rambo's living on a boat on some river in, in Thailand. Yep. And so he can take them up the river to Burma and drop them off where they want to bring, you know, food and medicine. And, and you know, it's, it's a religious mission, so obviously there's a, there's a preaching element to it. It's a dynamic that I think the movie could have leaned into more in terms of just like, you know, is this is the, is the priority of these people... Helping the sick and feeding people, or is it, you know, proselytizing? It's not entirely clear. I'm not sure it matters. I'm not sure it matters, but it for what you see, it you don't get very much. You get maybe like 15 seconds of, I think, reading from, from the Bible. Yeah. It pushes more that they're there to help medically, etc. Yeah, I think so, too. But it's just it's an element the movie didn't need to include. I think it it, it adds a wrinkle that uh, I think is interesting. I'm just like you know it, it's not purely humanitarian, but I mean that's it's I think mostly I think you're right. I think it's yeah it's, it's down, well it's downplayed either way, and it, it really isn't the focal point. I mean yeah yeah the the missionaries really are just the driving force to have Rambo do what Rambo does. I mean sure they're really an afterthought. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, really, it's only the one character. What is her name? Uh, the woman in this group. Sarah. Sarah, yes. Yeah, Sarah. I mean, they don't really lean into any kind of romantic uh, angle here, but, nope. I mean, he's kind of, I think just the fact that they're American, and it's probably the first Americans he's, he's spoken to in years. And, you know, at first he doesn't want to help them. He's like, don't go to Burma. That's crazy. It's a war zone. And he refuses to take them. But then she kind of comes to his houseboat and convinces him. In a scene that uh, does not work in the theatrical cut, in the direct, oh. this is this is the this is the only thing in the director's cut that is vastly improved, and it's this moment where okay. Rambo agrees to go up river. Yep. In the theatrical version, it's just they're just talking about like weird abstract things. You can't change what is, and what is? It's like, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> what what is this conversation? It's because it was chopped all hell. That's the one thing. If if they had just, and it's in the deleted scenes of the the theatrical cut. If they just used the scene as shot, it would have been a. It's actually a really good scene. Yeah. But the way it's portrayed in the movie, it's so then like, I guess it's not really clear why he changes his mind. I was gonna say, so in the director's cut, do you get any better indication of why he changes his mind? Yeah, because she basically 
shames him. I mean, it's just a much longer scene where they have a discussion about... Uh, it's much more concrete, the discussion of, like, you're not going to change anything. You're just going to go up there and get yourself killed. He's, he says, I wasted my life. Don't waste yours. And she kind of says, well, you know, trying to save lives isn't wasting your life. I think some of that is in the, is in the movie. Yeah. It's the bits and pieces of it. But then in the end, she kind of turns to walk away, and then she kind of stops and goes, you know what? You know, you do care. If you didn't care about us, you would have just taken the money and brought us up and said, and wash your hands of the whole thing. So you obviously do care about something, you know, which is why you're, you're refusing to take us. Rather than, I forget, I mean, it, I'm sure it's on YouTube, or if not, uh, it's on the in the Blu-ray. But um, it's I mean, we can probably pull it up. You know, no, yeah. it's fine. I just but was it, it's it's a good scene. That's all I'll say. I, mean, I remember going like, this is much better than what's in the movie because it's more. It, they're actually talking about the situation, you know, the actual concrete things, and not just abstractions of just like you can't change what is and what is. Oh man, it's violent and you know. There's a line that comes up later where he says, uh, "When you're pushed, killing's as easy as breathing." He says that to her in this scene in oh. the in the director's cut as opposed to like a weird voiceover so it's just it's just a longer scene and i think ramble realizes oh she's right i do care if if i didn't care i would have taken their money so and he, he agrees to take them up river for nothing yes you know but it, it just it, it it shows you why he changes his mind i've been doing a bad job explaining it but it's just no they give it more space is really all that's all it takes no and that makes sense and in the end he flip-flops and decides to take them up river anyway yeah after doing some blacksmithing yeah, he forges. He th- then I guess the first go around, he's just forging. I think a rod or something, you know, to, to steer the boat. It's, it's a, he's just like building propeller. a propeller. Yeah. yeah. Uh, later on, he's gonna forge his own machete. Oh, that's true. That comes later after he comes back. Yeah. Yes. And there's there's reasons for that. That's also in the director's cut. So oh, okay. uh, we'll get into that in a second. But yeah, he d- he decides to take the missionaries upriver. And Michael, who is the leader, uh, he and Rambo don't see the eye to eye in a lot no, of things. Not at all. That character is maybe a little. It's I think the worst written and the worst acted character is Michael because it's just kind of one note and it's he's just there to be like this foil for Rambo, and like to try and be in charge. Yeah, because he's like taking a life is never right because they're going up river and then they they come across some pirates. Doesn't go a, well. Not for the pirates, no. <laughs> Doesn't go well for anybody because no, no, no. The, yeah, the, it's, it's the, true. The missionaries are absolutely abhorred. Oh yeah, because he, he's he's horrified that Rambo has to kill these guys and he's like, it's never right to take a life. You know, and to their credit, these missionaries, you know, I think it's depicting that they practice what they preach, literally, where it's yeah. like, turn the other cheek. They would rather die than kill someone. And that's kind of, basically, everyone in that boat kind of has that vibe, except for Rambo, who has the opposite vibe, and he just kills these pirates. Uh, it's a very tense scene, really effective. And it's a different kind of a vibe than the rest of the franchise, where, you know, Rambo's trying to defuse it, and yeah. he's, but once he realizes there's no getting out of this without killing these guys... You know, he he, he doesn't switch hesitate. flips. And yeah. yeah, he does not hesitate at all. Yeah, and I I definitely do give that credit too. They they the script does try and keep the heroic aspect. He tries to be very reasonable in the negotiations. Yeah, the pirates are having nothing of it. Yeah, and you're right. A switch gets flipped. It's all right. All right. Push comes to shove. I'm willing to push back pretty hard. Yeah. No, but again, that moment is not heroic in any way. I mean, no. the, the the score. Um, I have the notes somewhere. Who does the score? I really like the music in this movie. Um, with one exception, which I don't oh, know. I'll, see, I only actually had I, I, one thing I noted on the score, so I wonder if it's the one exception. It's the dumbest thing. I'll just say now because uh, you know the first blood theme, the the Rambo theme, which is used in this movie, you know, a fair amount. Um, I wish I could remember the name. Like I've got it in my notes somewhere, but um, the first two notes of the first blood theme are wrong, and it's just it, it's a very subtle difference. 
too many notes. It's not too many notes. Oh. It's the wrong notes. <laughs> okay. And, it, and the rest of it's great. And it's, you know, it, it's an interpretation. It's not, you know, there's no such thing as wrong in music. Like, as long as it sounds fine. It sounds fine. But it's, they're different notes. In the original three movies, it goes, da, 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 da. And this one goes, da, 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 da. I know I'm doing, like, Vanilla Ice now. It's a different thing. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. I know I'm doing that. <laughs> But for people who know music, they're going from the original version goes from the fourth to the fifth to the tonic, and this version goes from the fifth to the seventh to the tonic. It's a, it, they're different notes, and it just bugs me because I, right, I know just right. enough about music, and I'm just my ear is so is just finally attuned enough to be like that's wrong. It's that's just the fair. wrong notes. I definitely did not pick that up. Anyway, that's my only gripe about the score. Otherwise, I think it's great. And I think the moment where he kills these pirates this is why I brought it up. Is it's a really interesting moment musically because it's not like. Ta-da, he saved the day. It's like, oh, this is dark, dark music for Rambo. He's saving the day. He's saving these missionaries. But the music is saying, this is a bad thing happening. This yeah. is not good. No, and the reactions, too, from, from Sarah and all them are you know pretty horrified and horrific. And I think yeah. well acted and, and delivered for what that point is. is that Oh, and the, the movie does not. I mean, at no point in this movie does it shy away from the violence, obviously, as we talked about. But, I mean, the moment there's the one guy who kind of doesn't die right away and Rambo goes up to him and just blows yeah. his head off, it's an ugly moment. It's not heroic. I mean, no. I feel like we're a broken record. But, I mean, it's just – it's really striking to see the violence depicted this way in a Rambo movie. And it's why I think it's – it's just – it is an interesting change to the franchise. That's all. And this is only the beginning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's plenty more. But anyway, he drops them off. They're they're horrified, but Sarah wants to continue on. She goes, we got to make this worth it, so we're going to yeah, keep going. And, and it's either, I don't know if it's this, it's not this sequence. It's the initial, the chopped up, where he says that, you know, this is your call, so if at any point in time you want to call it off or turn around, we'll right. turn around. He takes his orders from her, not yeah. from Michael, who is ostensibly in charge. <laughs> who, who thinks he's the boss. Yeah. He's not the boss of the boatman, that's yeah, for sure. Well, because he and Rambo have a confrontation where he's like, who are you to kill those men? And he grabs them and throws, yep. you know, pushes them against the wall. Who are you? It's, I mean, it's actually terrible. I mean, there's a moment where you think Rambo might kill this guy. Like, yeah. he is, his blood is up and he's like, he's been trying to hold down the, his violent, you know. By catching snakes. Exactly. I mean, he's, he spent all these years trying to avoid his violent nature and suddenly it's come out and it's like... It, Rambo could do anything, and that's kind of, that's the Rambo we're seeing here. Is like because later he you could see him kill rip an a guy's person. throat out. He easily could have just done it to Michael. Yeah, right there. It, it has that feeling of just like this is not. He's not safe. Michael's not safe here from oh. Rambo. So that, that's also interesting. But anyway, he drops them off and heads back. He burns the pirate boats. Uh, he's got to cover his tracks. He does cover his tracks. Rambo well. and his two uh, assistants. So we never learned anything about those two no, guys. No, and that actually confused me at first, uh, my first viewing, because I'm like, I, I didn't remember them. Because they don't go on the trip up with the I th- missionaries. I think they're there, but they're not on camera much. Okay. I think you see them like once, like on a wide shot. They're like way at the front of the boats, and they're kind of off on their own. God, I must have missed it, because coming back, I'm like, whoever they are, Rambo must really trust them, because he's <laughs> enlisting them to help cover his tracks yeah. murdering pirates no i think you didn't miss it it's it's stallone not getting enough coverage and not establishing them well enough because they're there the whole time but he doesn't okay. you don't see them enough that, that whole scene is kind of shot in a way where it's kind of i mean the, the whole style of the the kind of his directorial style in this movie is very kind of loose and everything feels it kind of feels like a documentary in a way like it's just, just a lot of like handheld cameras very different from the first three movies where it's very low to the ground and very kind of visceral so I feel like a lot of that is just 
he just grabbed whatever he could in the day. And I, I know they shot with like three or four cameras all the time. It's just like, you know, he just forgot to shoot those two guys. Yeah, you know, it's, that's just all it was. He, he calls them my guys. You oh, know, they're, they're my guys. So you know that Rambo trusts them and that he's been working with them forever. Well, clearly he, he must trust them because they help cover his tracks, as you said. Well, I mean, if, if you can trust the guy that watch your back from snakes that's that is true in the brush then you know you can trust them to cover your tracks when you murdered five pirates they burn the boat you just can't trust them to help you find the pythons that you need to find uh, to make your boss happy maybe pythons are tougher to find i don't know you'd think they're easier pythons are a lot bigger than cobras aren't they yes so you would think so i think pythons probably got to climb more trees rambo i can't be bothered (laughs) I'm not as young as I used he, to be. Yeah, right? he he just like snaps that when they're when snakes are ha- hanging from trees, he can kill them. That's but true. He, yeah, I forgot <laughs> about that. I wonder what kind of snake that was. I don't he know. Could have used his experience in I Vietnam and in Rambo too. So it seems like the missionaries' mission accomplished. They're they're doing what they they went there to do, and all is well. But it doesn't last very long. No, not it, all's well for like ten seconds. You get I, a very I, brief sequence where you see, yeah, as, as you said, they're kind of preaching and they're healing. You know. Uh, people with uh, injuries. And they're feeling good. Like when they when they first arrive, it's like triumphant and heroic that they're there and they're being yeah. greeted. It has like this is a very brief like idyllic moment. It's yeah. like oh, it's the, it's the village and they're here to help. Yeah, and everything's <laughs> going to be great. Oh man, it did not last. No, it comes out of nowhere too. I mean, it is kind of shocking where yeah. no, it it you, was. I you was expect blo- you expect the scene to oh here's the scene where we see them helping these villagers. You don't expect the 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 army to show up. You just think that's going to be this scene is. It feels like a perfunctory plot scene, yeah. <laughs> and so the, when the violence occurs... Yeah, and it's literally shelling of the oh, village. That preacher who literally catches a shell dead yeah. on, and I mean, just... The thing is, it's, it's interesting that... And we're harping on the violence a lot, but understandably so. I've been watching, for instance, the Friday the 13th movies lately. I bought the whole <laughs> series of working through them one by one. And you know, those movies space? are... Are you in space yet? No, the, the series does not have that one, I told you. It, only, it stops at 8. Jason X is the tenth movie. Uh, I like how you just call it space. That's, you did that last time too. That's just that's just your shorthand. Space. Well, <laughs> I know what you mean. When you ask, <laughs> it's called Jason X. Please, Mike. No, it's not in space. It would be better if it called it was called Jason Goes to Space. But um, I mean, Leprechaun in Space is just called Leprechaun in Space. because yes, so it's so great. Yeah. But those movies are known for their gore. But you would never call this gore. Like, gore has a certain connotation of, like, you're watching it to be, like, titillated by it and be like, oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah, and, it's not yeah, the case here. But, I mean, it has, if you take it in a vacuum and take it out of the context of this movie, yeah. watching this guy just get blown apart in another movie, you'd be going like, that's, wow, look at the effect, that's awesome gore. So, it's just, moments like that are just interesting. Just like, yeah, a guy just gets blown apart by a shell. And it's horrifying, as it should be. And I think this is the, se- is this a sequence, too, where... You've got like the kids being thrived. Yeah. yeah, it's all it, it's that's, rough. That stuff is toned way down on the director's cut. Most of that stuff is is taken yeah. out of the kids getting shot. There is one shot uh, that I think uh, Tropic Thunder took and and uh, because it, some of this stuff is so extreme that you almost want to laugh like because it's so uncomfortable. And I feel like there's a moment in Tropic Thunder that because a kid just gets thrown into a fire. Yeah, and. You have to remind yourself this is, you know, not real. It's a dummy kid being thrown into a fire. It's not a real. So I, but I still feel kind of bad saying this, that it is bordering on funny. In another context, it would be funny just watching the soldier talk, just chuck this kid into a fire. And there's a moment in Tropic Thunder where Ben Stiller just takes a kid and like chucks him into a river 
in, in a way oh, that I is intentionally that. funny. I forgot that. Yeah. I think I have a feeling that that moment in Tropic Thunder was, was pulling from this. pulled from that moment yeah. in Rambo of that kid didn't. Yeah, but so, yeah, here it's rough. So Sarah, Michael, and a few others survive. Yeah, these the army takes some people captive, and uh, and so the the preacher of this church. In Colorado or whatever it is. Yeah, it was in Colorado. He comes and finds Rambo and says, oh, they, you know, the Burmese army took them. You know, and the one thing is, not that I want to call attention to it, but it matters for kind of later when the mercenaries are making their way through. As, you know, some of the villagers think that they've been able to, you know, escape and go out through the fields. That's that's when the M2 mounted on a truck pulls oh, yes. up yeah. and just mows, you know, a bunch of defenseless people down. The only reason I highlight it is... Later, when you get to the sequence, you know, guys who have basically are getting paid to go to war and see atrocities are saying, I've never seen any, you know, anything this bad. Yeah. Really kind of sets, sets the stage even more so. Well, also, it establishes that gun emplacement, which becomes right. important later. Yeah. And that's uh, the other thing, too, is in the hands of Rambo, it is a yes. absolute wrecking ball. In the hands of anybody, but yes. yes, in particular, in the hands of Rambo. We'll get there in a minute. In a minute. But, uh, yeah, so this preacher comes and says, oh, you know, they were captured. They know because the Karen rebels, who are the kind of the, the, the resistance fighters, who we don't see much of. No. There's just the kind of those two characters. That, that's ri- uh, Well, that, then at the, at the very end. At the very end. They, the show, they, yeah. they storm in to help against the uh, Burmese Navy, which yeah, yeah. the Navy didn't fare very well. well was one boat, you know. I'm sure it wasn't, <laughs> you know, that that's more like... You know, river patrol or something. So it doesn't feel like a navy boat to me. Yeah, but the, the preacher, you know, very much felt like a placeholder because Richard Crennan is no longer with us and very Troutman-like. Oh yeah, but that's—I uh, almost forgot that the, the this is where the dream sequence happens. Yep. Where I mean, it makes sense. It's really effective because it happened. It, it goes right from him covering his tracks and burning the pirate boat to this dream, and also uh, Susan, Susan or Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. I'm hopeless. Uh, she gives him, she gives Rambo. Rambo? Is that his name? Uh, she gives Rambo. <laughs> that, that, that or Rocky would be bad. I mean, I've, I've come very close to calling Rambo. I, I, I think I did at least you have, once. You have done I it called before. Rambo Rocky once, yes. But that's understandable because I love Ro- uh, Rocky and Rambo. Is, I'm, I like fine. But, uh, but anyway, she gives him a cross, a necklace, which, uh, you know, is thematically significant because he's just had this moment of violence he's been trying to keep a lid on for all these years, and now he's having these horrible dreams, which is just kind of edited clips from all four Rambo movies. including three. This, well, well, including yeah, scenes you. from this movie up to this point. You're right. So three and a half. Uh, but you mentioned Richard Crenna, which reminded me, because it was nice to get Richard Crenna yeah. in the movie, in this dream sequence, which is, you know, there's a lot of voiceover of Richard Crenna, clips of him, John, you know, just stuff like that. Just He's remembering things. And there's also the clip, the deleted scene of the original First Blood ending where Troutman shoots Rambo. Okay. They they put that in there near the end. Which yeah, is, you're uh, right. Yeah. I, I really like that. It was really smart. You can tell it's kind of grainier. It feels like they didn't have the original footage. They pulled it from who knows what, but uh, it didn't quite look like the same quality. But I think it's cool to have that there. Just Obviously, it's a thing that didn't actually happen. It was a deleted you know, alternate ending. But, uh, yeah, I, I just thought that was really cool. Yeah, and it then also sets the stage, as I said, for the placeholder, because to wake him up, Rambo! Yeah, I think... John I, John Rambo? Yeah, I think the first time it's Troutman, you hear yeah. Troutman's voice, and then it transitions to that guy, yeah. yeah. Even though that guy kind of looks more like Teasel. 
He's kind of You're a heavy right. set guy. He's kind of a little shorter. He's got, he's got a little bit of a Brian Dennehy vibe, this guy. Which, yeah, uh, I, right. that's and all I, and Brian Dennehy sadly passed away recently. Yeah, he's no longer with us. Which is too bad because I've always, that's all I've wanted in a Rambo movie is for Teasel to come back. They could have done it in Last Blood. It would have, they had such an opportunity to do it there and they didn't do <laughs> now it. Now they really don't have the opportunity. Yeah. But yeah, so this guy tells Rambo that they were captured and he, oh, and, and then the guy, this preacher has hired a team of mercenaries. Yes. Someone at the U.S. Embassy just knows mercenaries or something? That, that was a question that I had, but... <laughs> I guess, uh, you know, someone's got to know someone who's got to know someone, but... Uh, Do yeah. they take out... A- I mean, I actually have some questions there, okay. but okay. Okay, well, we can cover that stuff later. And this is where Rambo forges his new knife, which yes. is much more... Yeah, you can call that a machete. It's basically a machete. Yes. So, so the reason for this new knife is there's a deleted scene. It's in the director's cut where after Rambo... Because when Rambo burns the pirate boat... He's got like gas cans and he's puncturing the gas cans. And the knife he's using there is, is the classic Rambo knife, that oh, serrated yeah. knife that he's always had. And I mean, I think there's probably some supposed to be some significance to this, but they cut it out of the movie. So after he burns the boat, he throws the knife onto the boat. I think to indicate like I, I'm done with this. I, yeah, I can't do this anymore. This yeah. is you know my, my I gotta leave my violence behind me, and so I'm gonna leave the, this knife that I've been keeping all these years. Yeah, my connection to that that past. Right. Sure. So and it's you know but it doesn't last long no because he's got to forge this gigantic new knife, <laughs> um, which does uh, I, I I definitely noticed this knife in Last Blood another tiny spoiler but you see it in Last Blood it's like oh he still got that knife <laughs> so I won't, I won't say whether he uses it but he definitely has it okay um, well he uses it here that's for yeah, sure he definitely uses it here but I, I wish that was still in the movie because it you know that knife is such an iconic knife it's what you think of oh Rambo's knife you know yeah I, it's on a lot of like the like the posters and packaging and stuff it's such an iconic knife and just for, to see him throw it away would have been a nice moment so because he never really identify the movie never identifies that as the knife you see him stabbing those things but it never calls attention to it to say like it's the knife yeah so I, I think it's too bad they cut that I can see that and agree ultimately uh, Rambo decides. He's gonna he's gonna be the boatman and take the mercenaries back up the river, and so we're introduced to what I think is the precursor to the Expendables. Yeah, um, I mean these, some of these guys are. I mean especially the the, the head guy, the SAS guy. I, I didn't. I only caught some of their names. Oh, don't worry so. about it. I, I have them because I thought it was important enough to make sure that we. Yeah. Had them. So okay. Good. You're talking about Lewis. Lewis is the man man in charge. Yes, the SAS guy. Yeah. Um, Very dismissive of the boatman. Yeah, I, there was a part of me. I love the idea. I love the idea of John Rambo just boatman. I like him being a part of the team, and that's his nickname going forward, boatman. <laughs> that really underplays the, what Rambo can do. I know it is. That's what's great. Is nobody <laughs> suspects boatman to do what boatman does. It is great. I, I do really like this dynamic, uh, in particular this guy and Rambo, where this guy is so just he's just the boatman. He has no idea who Rambo is or what he's capable of. Oh, hey, boatman, we're gonna t- <laughs> whatever. When are we gonna get that boatman? Yeah. I've died of old age by the time we get there. He's just very uh, dismissive of Rambo. And he has a little bit of a confrontation with him where it's like he's trying to make small talk with Rambo and Rambo's not reciprocating. There's like, no interest whatsoever. Yeah, like, I've seen the thousand yard stare before. You can drop it. You know, he's not he's not impressed by Rambo in the slightest. No, I, like for me, actually, one of the, the highlights, I liked the entire group. There, there were even Lewis, who I've got, you know, later. I think that it was written to try and kind of make him be a foil in some ways, mm-hmm. but there, there's still likable things about, about that character. And I think maybe it's the choices and the performance 
that I'm not sure it was written and intended that way, but there are things I'm like, I kind of like Lewis. I'd like to see him in the Expendables. I like all of them. I, don't, I think this, yeah, I agree. I think this crew of mercenaries is interesting in and of themselves. You could see a movie where, yes. you know, Expendables-esque movie where it's these guys. Uh, I mean, and I like the way they're depicted in terms of they're not, they're mercenaries. They're definitely mercenaries. They're not heroic other than schoolboy. Um, but they're not unlikable either. Right. Even Lewis, the main guy who is kind of an asshole, uh, not just a Rambo, but just in general. And he has kind of a little racist moment a little bit later. He's not a good man, but he's also like capable. You know, these guys aren't there to be like the FBI guys in Die Hard. You know, they're not there. (laughs) That's perfect. They're not there just to show. They're not there to be incompetent so that Rambo's got to step in. Oh, jeez, these guys are idiots. No, they actually are competent. No, they were competent. And I, I, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think the way they're written and the the kind of space they they fill in this movie is really good. And and they they set it up with Reese of you know being the you know whatever they they have you know some stuff of. You know, hey, it's not Hick or whatever, but, you know, try reading a paper rather than sleeping under him. <laughs> yeah. But having him, like, sing. So they grade on each other, you know, a little bit because they're not necessarily friends. Right. It, it has the feeling of guys who've been together just long enough to know how to annoy each other. Yeah. And a little bit of, like... <laughs> Those, I'm, I'm going to sing because that really annoys Ju- yeah. Juan or Enju. Enju, yeah. Enju, right. And so it's, there's, like... It's a dysfunctional functioning group, and I I think it I think right. it's portrayed in realistic and they're competent... You but could, they've got each other's backs. Right, like, there's exactly. No point, there's no point where one of them tries to like screw the other guys or anything no, like and, that. and like, even, you know, Lewis, who isn't completely sold on even, you know, going forward. We took their money of going forward. Even he becomes reasonable. All right, fine. We'll do the reconnaissance. Right. And if it looks like we can extract him, we'll do it. Otherwise, you know, we're, I'm, not, I'm not going up against an army. <laughs> right. I'm yeah. not getting paid. And that's a very reasonable approach, right? This is not... You know they're mercenaries. They're doing it for money. They're not there because they believe in you know a cause. Yeah. And so I I I think all of that was handled well, and I think it was like a good. That was one of my favorite things of adding a different dynamic. That it's not just Rambo and maybe Troutman sticking his head out every once in a while, like in Rambo Three, which made me laugh. Well, yeah, that's the thing is in comparison to Rambo Three, like you know these guys aren't superheroes. This is a very realistic world as opposed to Rambo 3 where it's like we're going to send Rambo you and a couple of guys you're going to meet in Afghanistan are going to rescue Troutman. (laughs) Infiltrate this entire like fortified Russian base. Russian base? Yeah. I mean this is again as you said a more realistic world but let's compare what the Russian army was to this. Yeah, you you can believe that they would be able to infiltrate this base, this uh, Burmese base, because it's just, you know, it's pretty ramshackle. Yes, but then you take that to Rambo 3, it's just Rambo, and a couple of guys, as you said, he meets up in Afghanistan that's going to infiltrate a Russian base. And at no point, you know, the the mission in Rambo 3 is so much more impossible, and at no point is anyone like, let's just, maybe we'll just turn around and go back. Like, (laughs) let's be be realistic about what we can and can't do no there's never a moment like that charge right ahead right whereas here it's like you know we'll f off if we get there and we decide we can't do it we'll just turn around and go home yeah and actually they it has a pretty good balance and i've got it but a pretty good balance amongst the group too because you've got you know basically two of them that are like eh, i'm not sure about this and two you know school but they're kind of pushing no we should move forward and ultimately they come to like a group decision fine we'll take this next progressive step do they come to a group decision, or does Rambo bully them? Because we're kind of we're, we're skipping over a little bit where they they tell Rambo to stay with the boat. They don't know that Rambo is Rambo, and so he's like he just assumes he's going to come along. He's like, no, you stay with the boat. You're the boat man. And the guy, this is where the kind of racist moment. Where he's like, I want a white man in this boat, yeah. not you know, you know, 
racial epithet, racial epithet. But I mean, otherwise, uh, Rambo still follows along. Yeah, he kind of just tails them. He, I was gonna say it looks like he stays behind, but he's right. got his bow and arrow, and he's you know he's not gonna stay behind. No, it's the movie's called Rambo, not called SAS I mean, guy. It's, Lewis, it's not called Lewis. Lewis. Okay. Sorry, man. I already forgot. I think Lewis Tully. <laughs> Lewis Tully is not John Rambo. Yeah, Lewis is not a particularly tough name. I don't, <laughs> they must not use his name much because I don't remember hearing it really. And they do set up this World War II bomb that they pass, this tall boy bomb. Yeah, so we'll we'll get to that. I we'll get to that. Yeah, but they they they're trying to track where the Burmese army took the missionaries. So they go to the village where they were taken, and then while they're there, That's this is they, the scene you kind of were talking about yeah, earlier. They, or, they see the the atrocity, and it, uh, I think it's Enju and I think Diaz are like no, or, or no, it's Re- it's recent Enju. They're like no, we need we need to get out of here. Yeah. I'm not going up against this. Oh, none of them want to. You know, they're, they're sitting there going, "There's nothing we can do." Even yeah. schoolboys like we can't do anything. But but then Rambo decided, I and mean, this is the most heroic moment in the movie. I think Rambo just comes up, shows up out of nowhere, and arrows them all to death. <laughs> yes, he does. Um, it's it's a it, it is a pretty cool moment. This is the most classic Rambo actiony mo- moment. Is when he just it feels, saves the day and saves all these villagers. It definitely felt like it was a different movie, and it was the most of kind of rousing. Like, yeah, I'm I'm yeah. kind of rooting for him, mm-hmm. without a doubt. Because after this, definitely before this, no, and after this. Yeah. No, not but for some reason actually the pirate act the pirates actually feel the most visceral and the worst, even more so Yeah, I agree. Than than at the end of the movie. Yeah, this this is more like gag, the guy gets an arrow through the eye, and this is a little more like gore in the Friday the thirteenth style. Yes. This is the most of that anyway. Without a doubt. But I mean I think it's because, you know, the first time you see this happen where the villains are sending these villagers through this, you know, mined rice patties and they're just exploding and it's horrifying. You know, because we saw that earlier and no one came to rescue them. Right. It feels justified. Yeah. You really want to see Rambo show up and rescue these guys. So when he does, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's definitely a catharsis in a way that this movie rarely has. But yeah. But, but as I was saying, like, I don't know if there's really a group <laughs> consensus because then Rambo just turns his uh, bow and arrow on Lewis and he's just like, we're going to rescue these people. And everyone's like, okay, I guess so, if you say so, Rambo. He kind of gives them an ultimatum. You're right. But the, the point being kinda is that... kind of bullies them into con- yeah. doing the mission. But there there was a debate, I guess, before when they got to this point. And this is where they were looking to turn back, and, and Rambo saves the day and says, yeah. no, we need to press forward. Just live for, no- for nothing or die for something, which yes. is probably the most famous line from yeah. this movie. So they, they head forward, they've got a plan, and they're going to execute their plan. And to Lewis's point later on, a time is set. And if you are not there when the time is up, that's yeah. it. We're out of here. And I think that's more than fair. Yeah. I really like this sequence. I think I said in Rambo 3 that there's not enough sneaking around in movies. And this whole sequence is nothing but sneaking around. I, yeah. I think this is really fun. I mean, yeah. fun in a relative sense. Rel- yeah. Relative to the rest of this movie, it's fun to see them kind of put the plan together. And well, yeah, it basically it, goes off perfectly. Like, it, they don't really have much trouble. It is definitely the opposite of... <laughs> You know, Rambo two and three, as as I can re- recall, where it's just he's just a bull in a china shop and just <laughs> right. mowing guys down. Yeah, it's like no, that's probably not realistic. You are grossly outnumbered with a well armed enemy. You probably want to use stealth if you can. <laughs> well, the difference is in Rambo three, there is a sequence of him sneaking around, but it's just to plant explosives so that later they can just blow everything up, <laughs> right? Because that's the part I was saying. Like, oh, it's nice to see some sneaking around in a movie, right. but it's just so that they can plant bombs everywhere. So at the end of the day, the the end goal is still to kill a million people. Here, I mean, they, they kill a couple of guards. They have to, but... Right, they try not to. They're trying they, to get in and get out. They actually get in and get out undetected, and it's a lot of fun to watch. It's like, uh, you know, it's 
it's like a stealth video game or something. Like yeah. you know, it's not an action sequence; it's a stealth sequence, and it's and there's more, some more kind of I I don't think we need to get into it, but there, there's some more sadism both on kind of the violent side of yeah, you know, one of the missionaries being basically fed to pigs, and then uh, yeah, they're holding you know uh, these these women yeah. captive and making them like dance on a stage, yeah. and they're all like you know pouring beer on them or whatever. Some you know yeah. it, it's it's deliberately. Depicted as yeah. sadistic and cruel, and it, it's, women held in cages and stuff. You know, right. thrown like they're just tossing food at them. Like it's it's you know, it's not the movie's not pulling punches as far as you know, and and I have no doubt that it's with the intent of kind of calling attention to the fact that this sort of thing happens. You know? Probably uh, the only thing I would say in this sequence is that at this point you've kind of you've done a you, I think you've done the job establishing. Yeah, I guess so. Is it, overkill, you think? I, nope. I mean, no pun intended. Yeah. But yeah. I, in a way, again, I, I'm not saying it. It just it kind of felt like it, it was. Yeah, I get that. Not ne- not necessary, but you still did need the se- the rescue sequence because that basically is what's really driving the plot forward. So you, well, I, I think some of the sadism you probably could have taken out, and it doesn't change the movie at all. I think in part it's to show because you know they're there to rescue these missionaries. They don't. I mean, they rescue a couple of uh, villagers, but not everybody. No. I mean, and, and there's it's basically who they could find, right? And, you know, while they're rescuing the missionaries and a couple other people, it's intercutting cutting to what's happening to those women who are captives and, you know, some of them are being dragged away. And, yeah. you know, it's pretty clear what's going on. And I think it's showing, unlike a movie like Rambo 3, where we jokingly said that Rambo won the Cold War, here it's showing that this stuff is going to continue even after they're gone. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, the, well, that's what they're Rambo literally not changing anything, which no. was Rambo's whole point. That, that point at the very beginning. You're wasting your time. Right. That this... Rambo's not here to fix the problems in Burma, and there's no way he could. You know, that even after they leave, that stuff is continuing on in this base. They didn't save everybody. And I think that's why that's there. Just, I can see that. That's fair. But anyway, yeah, they get everyone out. There is the moment where Rambo just brutally rips a guard's throat out. <laughs> Maybe the most violent thing I've ever seen in a movie. It? Uh, it's got to be there. It's. I mean, it's so slow and drawn out and... It's, in a way that I'm sure it's how it would be. And as terrifying as Sarah is, I'm not sure it was terrifying enough because that no. was awful. I'm horrified by that. And that's, that's like, you know, I have a pretty strong stomach when it comes to gore, yeah. as, as evidenced by my uh, Friday the 13th marathon. And it, clearly he should have maybe done something that was a little bit more timely or quicker in terms of killing because he misses the time on the rally point. Yeah, only by a little bit, but yeah, uh, yeah they definitely don't wait for him, nor, other, nor should they. Other than schoolboy, schoolboy decides he's going to stay yeah, behind. That's true. Uh, yeah, and there's a moment where so so basically Rambo and Sarah, Sarah, right? Yes. Okay, I'm going to ask every time. Uh, so I, I, I keep wanting to say Susan. Uh, Rambo and Sarah are left or the are late getting out because yeah. they basically they're on their way out, and then Rambo goes back, right? Or was that in the director's cut? I think that yeah, I think that's cut out of the theatrical cut. There's a moment in the director's cut where kind of Rambo goes no. out with the team. He's like, "Well, we never found Sarah. Oh, let me go back in." Oh no, yeah, that's definitely cut okay, out. Okay, yeah, because he has a confrontation with uh, Lewis. Gotcha. Yeah, so that that's your now point. the way the theatrical makes it look is it just took him longer to meander and find his okay, his okay, way yeah, to yeah. Her. Um, but yeah, it's just the two of them. And there's a moment where they're trying to escape uh, across a road, and some guards just happen to see them, and it's it's. And Rambo kind of dives in front of her, which yep. is an interesting moment. I think it's maybe the only moment like that where Rambo like 
is like willing bodyguard. to sacrifice himself yeah. for someone else. Yeah. I don't think that's ever happened in a Rambo. No, and it's not really established why he would have chosen now and Sarah, but whatever. It doesn't matter because schoolboy comes to save the day. Yeah. I mean, it's showing that he cares for her. Why he cares why? for her is not the, entirely clear. Yeah. Uh, it may just be that, uh, you know, he hasn't had any kind of relationship of any kind with any woman for a decade or something like that, or, or more than that, probably yeah. prior to First Blood. Uh, or no, well, uh, Rambo 2. Yeah. Rambo. Kobau, yeah. Kobau doesn't last long. No, that's true. Yeah, and both of the both women give him a trinket to wear around his neck. Yes. Not to call a cross a trinket, but you know what I mean. Like, yes. <laughs> women only exist in this series to give Rambo things to wear around his neck. <laughs> if there was... That's like a new term. It's not fridging. It's something else. It's... Uh, I guess. Well, necklacing or... Yeah. <laughs> well, Sarah, Sarah makes it through this movie, but she's unavailable. Yes. You don't learn... Is it? Uh, I, I'm sorry. I, I apologize for... I continue to bring up the director's cut, but it's it's more clear in the director's cut that she is engaged to Michael. Gotcha. Yeah, it is in a relationship in with him. Yeah, in theatrical, it's, it's like... She doesn't really seem... There's no real romantic no. Uh, connection with Rambo, but... Um, oh, yeah. She's even more unavailable in the director's cut. Gotcha. That yeah, so everyone runs. Uh, Lewis steps on a mine. Yes. And that, that, that felt like it was just there to give Michael, you know, a reason to still exist in this movie. Yeah, I mean, Michael's here for a moment near the end to kind of illustrate a point I think the movie is trying to make. Yeah. We'll get there in a bit. Yeah. But um, I, I just... Yeah, I think you're right. That's probably part of it. Because then he's like, we're doctors. We'll help him. But yeah. I, I also think maybe it's to explain why they get captured in a bit. And also, it, I think, I find it interesting how arbitrary it is. Like, these are these trained mercenaries. They're like, you know, they, they very easily got, not easily, but they cleanly got in and out of this camp and rescued the people they're trying to rescue. At night, they're, where, yeah. where you've got less visibility. Yeah, they're obviously... And no uh, night vision, either. They did not have... Uh... Oh, no, it was purely based on their wits, basically. Um, They're very capable and and competent, and just arbitrarily, he doesn't see the mine and steps in the mine. I think it kind of, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but it felt like it was depicting, like, how arbitrary, you know, like, it doesn't matter how good you are. The outcomes can be. be. step on a mine, and that'll be, I mean, he survives, but, so yeah, and then what, Rambo, Schoolboy, and Sarah are on their own, two groups trying to escape the army, who discover that, oh, the, the... Prisoner yeah, they, they wake up and, and realize yeah. prisoners are gone and there are some dead soldiers. Yeah, yeah. So there's, uh, there is the chase of the two groups. There's way bigger of a head start for Lewis and the, and the main group, but they're actually the ones who get captured. Is it way bigger? I got to think, uh, I mean, I don't know how much, how, how long it took Rambo to get out of there. It felt like more like 15, 20 minutes. It didn't seem like a huge head start. Well, I, I also took from it, though, because... The way the movie depicts it, and something I have in there, the way the movie depicts it is they don't have GPS. They're working off of a compass, yeah. as opposed to you know the the main crew. I don't. I have an issue with it because everybody everybody would have GPS. That that, that that's a beef that I had. It's like why do you need a compass? But whatever. It wasn't as ubiquitous as two thousand eight. I mean, now we all have oh, phones yes, that have GPS. No. The, uh, handheld GPS units, it was opened up in the 2000s. So oh, they for, existed. I'm not saying they didn't exist. No, they were ubiquitous. For, especially for people in the military, because that's ultimately before... Yeah, but they're not in the military. They're mercenaries. They probably fig- you know, you got to no. figure they've got a profit margin. They didn't want to spend the money. <laughs> a profit I, margin for a GPS unit that's like 100 bucks, 150 bucks. Uh, I don't know if it would probably be more than that in 2008. No. Whatever. It's, it's splitting hairs. We can talk about it later. I'm sure you have Fine. that in technology. We can talk about it then. Yes. Uh, so ultimately they, they wind up Rambo, Rambo splits off and he's going to, he's going to draw their fire as I like to say from old Doc Brown. Yeah. Cause he's got, he tells the uh, schoolboy to fire off a shot yeah. from his sniper rifle, which tries to draw 
uh, the attention everyone away. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, his plan, which because uh, Schoolboy has a, 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 a claymore, yes. and he just plants the claymore at this World War II bomb and lures the, the soldiers. Yes, he does. By by tying Sarah's, I mean it's pretty it's pretty clever. He ties a piece of her clothing to his yeah, to ankle draw the dogs. to draw the dogs. Yeah. To this bomb, it is a little bit of a disappointment because this, this would have been a perfect moment for a classic Rambo maiming sequence. But at the same time, it's kind of not that kind of movie. It's not, but I would also argue that for the kind of movie it is, they gave it to you because he saw what was available in the uh, the environment he was in, and he used what was in the environment that he was in. I guess. I mean, he successfully maims all these guys. Yes, you know, he does. You know, more than that. I just, uh, I think that's one of those things that this movie doesn't have, and I, you know, again, they're deliberately going in a do, new direction, so I'm fine with it. But, you know, that's that's one of those classic Rambo moments of, you know, he covers himself in mud or leaves yeah. or whatever and leaps out and gets a guy. Like, that's in every Rambo movie up to this point. Yeah. So it's, it, he covers I, up the mine, though, so I think that's I guess close, it's enough. close enough. Yeah, instead of hiding himself in mud and leaves, yeah. he hides his claymore and they, they release the pin and the whole, the, the World War II bomb blows up and yes. gigantic explosion. But in the end, <laughs> when you get to the beach... The other group has been captured, and Schoolboy and Sarah are there some, feeling somewhat helpless because they get there, even if it is a half an hour, like you said, the, the lead time, it was enough for them to be safe, but there's only two of them and only one that actually ha- you know, has the ability to engage in combat, and they're basically helpless to be able to really do anything. Right. Schoolboy decides he can't do anything on his own, but yeah. Which you add a- one Rambo to the equation. And- it is amazing, right? Yeah. It's not just one Rambo, though. It's one Rambo and an M2. Yeah, and and eventually the Karen Rebels who show up kind of late, but uh, you know it's it's Rambo. Yeah, it's Rambo basically doing all the work, and 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 the mercenaries because they get free and grab yeah. some AKs from the yeah. you know the the, the it, army. And let's be real, it's Rambo and the M two. Oh, I mean, we'll look we'll at to the body count. All it's right. it's an interesting. <laughs> it's the action sequence in movie history with the least amount of like quote unquote action. By which I mean everyone is just plopped in up spots <laughs> you know schoolboy's up there sniping rambo's on this gun just shooting it he never moves from this gun once no. and then the rest of them are in a little like you know a, a little ditch they move a li- right a little bit but a not little bit much. yeah they'll do an occasional like somersault or whatever yeah. but otherwise guys everyone is just You're right plopped in place shooting their guns and that's just and it's like 10 minutes of them just killing just mowing everybody. people down yes yeah i i think uh, i saw in some of the behind the scenes stuff that the way this gun is depicted is real. Is, this is what this kind of a gun would do to human beings. Yeah. But it's still. I mean, in particular, when he gets control of the gun, it's actually one of the more iconic Rambo shots where he's like out of focus and he comes up frame behind the guy and just cuts his head off, takes the gun, and it's the guy in the driver's seat. Oh yeah, that guy. <laughs> That's the first. That his first priority is kill this guy in the driver's seat. And man, oh man, it is unbelievable <laughs> what happens to this guy. Yeah, that guy had no chance. Yeah. I mean, it's just a lot of him shooting, you know, Rambo shooting the gun and guys turning into just, mist. Yes. And then a truckload of guys show up and he spins around and just decimates this truck. He didn't. He doesn't. They never even get out of the truck. These guys are literally fish in a barrel. The barrel is a truck that they're. They have no chance to get out of. Well, he does the same thing with a with a uh, navy boat. Yeah. Just rips through and destroys that thing. Yeah. Schoolboy does some damage, the yeah. mercenaries do some damage, the Karen rebels show up and you know help out a little it's bit. It's 90% John Rambo in that M2. Yeah. 
I mean, I guess if you have a, an emplacement where no one's going to get behind you and you've got a good, if it's positioned correctly, I, maybe this is something that could happen. We were talking about how realistic this movie is, and then this happens where Rambo takes out an entire army. So, uh, well, I had read, and again, I don't remember if it was where I read it, if it was an article or if it was IMDb, um, which isn't necessarily a credible source. But I think it's somewhat loosely actually based on um, Audie Murphy and what he ultimately was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor for is similar. Again, yeah. this is obviously stylized to a certain extent, but in terms of like providing fire and taking down a number of enemy combatants, I, I do think it's pot. Again, I think this is taken to an extreme, but I don't think it's outside of the plausibility of, of being realistic. Yeah, no, I think it's just plausible enough. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still Rambo. Right. That's one of the, that's the thing. I mean, at this point, Stallone is getting up there. I mean, he's in his sixties. It's not like first blood where he was like seventy four, but you know, it's he's still <laughs> not first or last blood. or last blood, yeah. But uh yeah, so I mean I'm sure to a degree he's gotta work with whatever limitations he has physically at this yeah. point. So he's not gonna, you know, do the kind of things he was doing in Rambo two and three. You got it's a Rambo movie, you gotta have a big action sequence at the end. So it makes sense. He just commandeers his gun and just that's all you need Wreck to do. Show. No doubt about it. All uh, right. And then, and then uh, the, the the main bad guy who uh, we haven't talked about much, but it, because he doesn't talk, I mean, he doesn't speak English, so you never really get much of his point of view. He, but he, like many of the others in the Rambo movies, try and get away, and it does not go well for him. Yeah, he just fle- and he's he's running for like half of this. Uh, he he's <laughs> he decides pretty quickly. I need to get out of here. He does, he does not, not. He does not pick up a weapon and fight back. He is fleeing. I love Rambo deciding. He sees the guy running and just like, I'm not going to shoot him. I'm going to run him down. He hides behind a tree and gets him with that knife that he he he, uh, well, he, brought, he made it and he brought it. So if you're going to bring it, it's time to put it to use. That is a really great shot when he comes around that tree and the the, the Rambo theme hits. Yep. But it, it, it's again, it's not like the heroic version of the Rambo theme. It's this very dark like. It's brutal. It just you know eviscerates this guy. I will say that my one complaint about some of the the violence is a lot of this is CGI squibs and stuff. And now in 2020, some of it doesn't hold up that well, at least for me. Okay. And this guy in particular, because he he guts this guy. I mean, it's it's gross. The guy's like intestines spill yeah. out. Um, but I look at that now and I go like, that's you know, I can I can see the CGI of it now, but. Because it's such, it's so visceral. It's literally visceral. Yeah, you can. It's, it's, there's viscera everywhere. You, you you can ignore it, right? I mean, you're you're more your attention is more on the shocking violence of it that it's like you know than what it, it looks. It's probably it probably looked just as bad then, but I didn't notice. Whereas now, this is like my third time seeing this movie, and it's like maybe now that I've been a little bit inured to the violence that I'm noticing that stuff. But yeah, the 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 effects don't hold up all that well. That's all. All right. Uh, yeah, and then it ends with, because Rambo talked about how maybe his dad is alive to Sarah, and so... He, he heads back to Arizona. To, to head back to Arizona, which I think is a... When this was the last Rambo movie, that was, I think, a fitting ending. It's no longer the ending to the Rambo series, but uh, I, I liked... At the time, I remember really liking that. I was just like, that's nice. He went, he I, went home. I like it, too. Yeah. And I guess we'll see when we get to Last Blood if it should have been left there. Yeah. Oh, that'll be an interesting conversation, for sure. Right. And for once... For once, thank God, this movie does not end with a horrible ballad. <laughs> That's true. I didn't thank think- you, Rambo 4, for not ending in a ballad. It's one of these horrible Rambo ballads. Alone, 
I will give a long I will give a long road a pass because it is an iconic piece of music. It is the Rambo theme, but it is also pretty bad. <laughs> and you're on your own, and it hurts when... Yeah. This movie does not end. I mean, it, it, this movie ends with an acoustic version of "It's a Long Road," but there's nobody singing. Well, and, and there's a long history of bad closing credit uh, song choices in Stallone movies. So, yeah, but Rambo in particular. So I'm just very grateful they didn't yeah. do it again. It was All 2008. Right. They couldn't do that anymore. <laughs> it's not the 80s anymore. Fair enough. All right, let's move on to technology. It's already up in the cloud. What cloud? All right, this is the segment of the show where we discuss how changes or updates in technology might have impacted key scenes, plot lines, etc. in the movie. Being a relatively fresh and recent movie, there's not a ton, because uh, it is set present day as well. Yeah, you already uh, brought up my one, but even that, I, I, I think I'm more willing to believe this movie than you. Uh, all right, so you're talking about the handheld GPS? Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't buy it for a second. So I'll, I will tell you that in 2008, very readily, very easily available, all, but each if, one if, of those guys would have been outfitted with their own handheld GPS. You would want to know absolutely where you were at every point in time, particularly in the jungle, which you still would have good coverage. You'd still, it wouldn't be as robust, but you still would have good coverage. Today, absolutely. No, I, These guys today would have that. I believe that they wouldn't have that in 2008. Being somebody, it's, it's borderline. It's right on the edge. Where being somebody whose hobby is GPS, yeah, in, in not, you're talking about 2020. No, and I'm talking that I the one the uh, geocaching started, and it's actually the 20th anniversary right now of the first geocache being placed. Is actually right now. Okay. And by 2008, absolutely, handheld GPSs were very widely available, and again, not dirt cheap. But cheap enough, if that one of my my main jobs is to know where I'm at in uncharted territory, you absolutely would have a GPS. Because keep in mind that all those guys, they're ex-military. The military used GPS before it was open to the public. So whenever any of those guys served, they would have had access to, to GPS. Yeah, but how long ago were those guys serving in the military, and were they using it's, the GPS then? Yes, they absolutely were. 100%, but whatever. I don't know, Lewis, I mean, we learned he was ex-SAS. So, I mean, that's that's the air service. So he's probably, who knows? I'm sure he was some kind of, like, airborne. Yes. Just just give it to me. They all would have had handheld <laughs> GPSs. I, they could have. In 2008, It was they were available to them, but I still buy that they wouldn't have had them. If people going around and finding little boxes that people place in forest preserves as a hobby are doing it in 2008 and have those, people in... The business of being mercenaries would absolutely have those. As you're, it would be like saying they're not going in with their own weapons. Of course they are. Those are the tools of their trade. A GPS would have been a tool of their trade. Well, in the end, they didn't need the GPS, so you know. Okay. And, and, and if it's like any business, they're going to get by with it as cheap as possible. You know, they're going <laughs> to. No, they're not. <laughs> sure, they are. Every every company I've if ever worked for. If you could wind up dying because you got lost, are you telling me that that is not something that would be at the top of your business priorities? Yeah, but they never got lost. Rambo very easily found that bomb again. I mean, he he ran straight for it like I knew exactly. They've they've got their own. You know, it's it's a crutch. They probably feel like I don't need one of those. I'm sure it was you know Stallone being a little bit. Why of a do you turn this into the devil's advocate? You don't not, need to defend this. It was a poor decision on the writer's part, but it's fine. Well, but if the point is they should have had it then, then that's not a change in technology. That's just a criticism of the movie. Today, yes, they would have had GPSs because they're, they, they're, 
you know, they're basically free with a phone that everyone has in their pocket no, anyway. No, so. but no, here, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to correct you on that. The well, GPS is there, but it would, it would oh, not. Oh, it's not as good. I mean, and yeah. it would also not work in some of the jungle cover they have. You would not get good enough coverage. Oh, sure. You wouldn't get cell phone coverage. Yeah, but even so, just the actual unit and its ability to read and get the signal on your phone. People use it. When you're using it on your phone, you're using it in streets to drive. Totally makes sense. When you're, I can tell you, because in the forest, the, the signal and reception is not nearly as accurate as good on your phone as it is with a handheld GPS. I, I will give it to you that they should have had them. Thank but you. I th- but I don't necessarily disbelieve that these guys would not have had them. Okay. It was a bad idea for these guys to not have GPSs, but I can believe that they are not. Then it's fair. You know, they're, they're all Luddites and didn't want to have them, you know? It's fair to say that in present day, they absolutely would have all had yes. them. Yes. We'll leave it at that. Yes. Here's the other one, and this is very common in the Rambo franchise for me. I would also say that the reconnaissance that Lewis wants to do, at some point, somebody would have had a drone of some capability in present day to be able to do some level of reconnaissance of where the hostages are and whether or not it was a mission that they could actually undertake. I mean, you would want to use a pretty high altitude drone to not give away the fact that someone's trying to infiltrate. I can, I can understand that, but and I, would that be available to the mercenary? Maybe the high altitude, probably not. But I think that they could have gotten close enough to be able to get a lower altitude drone within position to get some reconnaissance. You're right; it yeah. might have given away. But if what are you really giving away? Because well, but if they know that someone's coming to rescue, it, they, they would have increased security, and you know. I, I don't. You're right. They would have had more tools and technology to get more reconnaissance today. Yeah. So yeah. that that's but that's been so far in all the Rambo movies. That's been the most obvious one. That that's all I really had. Did you have anything? But again, they didn't need that either. They got in and out very easily. <laughs> so they didn't need. You know, this is this is back when soldiers didn't need all that technology. I think that's kind of Stallone. Do you remember Expendables three when uh, Dolph Lundgren had his computer? <laughs> No, I always use this. You know, I think that's kind of Stallone's point of view on that kind of technology of just like these, you know, tough guys. They don't need this stuff. Is that three or is it two? I think it's two because that's no, kind of a jokey one. That was three because I think that was one of the few moments we enjoyed in three. I remember that. I remember. I remember that moment being a highlight in an otherwise okay. kind of lousy movie. <laughs> it is. I'm. <laughs> Isn't that the thing that kid trying to play? No, because he gets it from the kid. Remember, because the three is the one with all the young kids. That's right. It's like you, you got that from that kid, with didn't you? Ronda Rousey, exactly. And all yes, you got that from that kid, didn't you? No, no, no. I always, had, I always had this. <laughs> it's you're right. Yeah, it's three. <laughs> it's like the girlfriend that you know, like an eight year old. Oh no, she's she's just she couldn't make it to the dance because she you know lives in Canada. It's the same. Yeah. No, I've always had this. Yeah, well, that was Arnold's team in The Expendables. Exactly. His, his 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 mercenary team were the girlfriends of Canada. <laughs> these, right. you know, the, the Rambo, you know, Lewis and these guys. Maybe this is Trench's team who just I bailed on him. Think about it. Maybe this is Trench's team. Trench got captured. Didn't show up. Yeah, at the beginning of Expendables two, and then they're just like, "Well, screw him. We got a job to do in Burma." I like the connection. Yeah, Excellent. this is Trench's team. All right, you ready for the little details? Sure. That cardboard headstone tipped over. The, this graveyard is obviously phony. Uh, the little details. Uh, the segment of the show where we point out minutia that we found interesting or noteworthy during uh, our viewing of the movie. Yeah. Uh, I will start because I have the the composer's name here as, as my first note, and it's Brian Tyler. Okay. Does a very good job. And I also... Uh, I have a note here, to, uh, I forgot to mention it earlier, but to call out, there's a kind of a new Rambo theme, um, and I really like it. I think it's a really good theme that Brian Tyler kind of wrote new for this movie, and for the life of me, I can't remember how it goes now. Um, I'll have to hum it when I remember it. But All right. I really like the new, oh, it's like, um, oh, 
I had it for like a brief moment, and then I lost it. Because <laughs> um, it plays at the end. Oh, it, it's, it, it comes like... Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. Yeah. That's it. You got it. It's very emotional. It's it's a much more kind of uh, uh it's a sad theme in a way that fits this movie for sure and fits Rambo and kind of where he is in his life. I think it's just a great piece of music. It's you know equal to the quality of the first blood theme in a way. I just I, I just want to give props to Brian Tyler because I what? like the score. That's fair, and actually, I had a note on the score which I don't normally, so I've, I'll bring it up now. It's my second note. Okay. Uh, no pun intended, and I feel bad since you're um, saying how great the score is. It's not a criticism, but what felt a little strange to me, and it's actually the scene you were talking about, when they're, they first uh, arrive upriver, and I think it's not it's after the pirates, the very beginning of the score felt a little bit like Saving Private Ryan, and that it, it morphs pretty, you know, after like the first 10 seconds or so. It it does change and the feel isn't there, but it just it for me I'm like man I don't know for some reason this feels like I'm getting a Tom Hanks speech in Saving Private Ryan a little bit. I think I know the piece of music you're talking about, and that's from the original movies. That's a Jerry Is Goldsmith. It? Okay, it's just kind of like a, a, a military theme. Yeah. In, in yeah, I think I think that's the music that plays briefly when Troutman marches Rambo out at the end of First Blood. That could be before it, it transitions into It's a Long Road. That piece of, and I think it's also the music playing when Rambo gives his big, big speech at the end of Rambo too. Why do you hate America? Hate it. I'd die for it. And it's, that the, the kind yeah, of, I think so. Yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's kind of like taps a little bit, a like little the, bit. the the horns playing. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's, so that's been little, in Rambo for. Okay, yeah. so that that makes more sense because it just it it felt a little out of place, but it also didn't last. That feeling didn't last very long because it transitions pretty quickly after that. Yeah. So. What else have you got? Okay. I want to talk about this snake show. <laughs> Let's talk about this I thrilling some, snake I show. I have some questions about the snake show, so I can move my questions up from my uh, from Devil's Advocate. So let, let's do it. Let's okay. talk about the snake show. Well, I just want to highlight the announcer who I love. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> I mean, I, I wrote down everything he said, and I just love it. And I kind of want to – I mean, I, I don't want to – I'm trying I'm try not to do an offensive uh, impression of this guy. But this is everything he says, and I'm going to do it in a way. I'm going to try to – I'm going to walk a fine line because I kind of want to – I want to capture the tone of this, This, you know, this is one hell of a show. I mean, I assume people are paying money for this show. I, I assume just, so, too. It's just a guy in a ring with two Cobras, and he's just kind of poking at him. And then there's a guy with, like, a little microphone. It's like a Mr. Mike or something, you know. It's, it's the Rapmaster 3000. <laughs> it's Hammer. <laughs> Never mind the commercials, boy. <laughs> um, uh, and he's just here's here's everything this guy says. I love him. He goes, "It is very very dangerous." Number one, two snake that you see, they are Siamese cobra. Oh come on, cobra! He is not king cobra and not spitting cobra. <laughs> they still have fangs and still have poison. He is small, dangerous. Number one, king cobra. Number two, <laughs> and now spitting cobra, he can spit poison in your eye. <laughs> One color. He is very dangerous. Number one in Thailand. Careful, my friend. That's my favorite part. He goes, careful, my friend. Oh, he's a nice guy. He's very sing-song. I love this guy. So your presentation of him, you know what it reminds me of? The copy guy... Yes, it's, yes, that's exactly Rob what he's Schneider like. Rob Schneider and Saturday Night Live making copy. <laughs> King the Cobra. King Cobra. <laughs> he is very, very poisonous. Very poisonous. Very dangerous. Spit in your eye. So, yes, it's exactly the cadence that this guy speaks with. What I had a question is, so 
So what you're telling me is you think that this guy is trying. So I got the impression, right? The the announcer, it should be he he should be like hyping up the crowd and like trying to get people, you know, basically generating excitement. Either that or give like zoological facts. Like, is this right, an informative like a show? Yeah, like a like a like a color commentator, right? Yeah, right. given some. I don't think he's accomplishing either of those <laughs> things. No. <laughs> so it's what my the question I had. So maybe you can answer this. I'll move up my devil's advocate. His boss is complaining about the types of snakes. Uh, my question to you is: It the sna- is it a snake problem or is it a presentation problem? <laughs> I think it's a presentation problem. Well, maybe the pre- presentation problem is trying to cover for the fact that there's too many cobras. Because <laughs> he is kind of like cobra number one, cobra number two. It's just like <laughs> it's this is why we need pythons because this guy is trying his best to d- differentiate these cobras. And all he can do is the numerical yeah. system. <laughs> yes, poison can spit in your eye. Uh, yeah, I think maybe one leads to the other. I, you get be. you get the sense that this guy is the only one in, employed there who can speak any English, so he yeah. just got the job by default. <laughs> You're the winner by yeah. default. Which I, I guess they're I guess the reason why it's in English is because they're trying to appeal to tourists. Uh, that, I, that's also what I assumed. It doesn't seem like a draw. Like you look at this place and just like, boy, they must be coming from miles around to see this guy poke snakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, not just just cobras because there aren't any pythons well, right now just cobras but in theory eventually they're trying to expand yeah they're trying to broaden the show I, what is what is because with a, with a cobra you can see the appeal of like he's going to poke at it and the hood's going to come up and it's yeah. like oh it's you know what's the appeal of the python yeah the, the python they're constrictors right it's yeah. just let, letting a python wrap around a guy and be like it'll might kill this guy what's the show with a python i guess i don't know I mean, I guess what's the show with a cobra? I don't know what the show is either way. So what you're saying is that I'm being unfair on the announcer. He doesn't have much to sell in the first place. Yeah. So even if He's he doing was his best. Oh, uh, oh man, what's the name of the the ring announcer? The, uh, the let's get it ready to rumble. I mean, he's oh Michael Buffer. Yes. So or is even, that Bruce? No, Bruce Buffer is the MMA. He does MMA. Michael Buffer is the boxing guy. Yeah, so the point being is, even if it was an iconic voice like that, I'm trying to get people fired up. If you don't have a product to sell, it doesn't really matter how great of an announcer you are, is I guess what you're saying. He could have, I mean, that monotone sing-song thing maybe isn't doing him any favors. If he tried to be more like Michael Buffer, you know, if he was like, let's get ready for King Cobra number two. <laughs> you might have got the crowd a little more fired yeah. up. I mean, that crowd is sitting there looking very bored. They're just oh. sitting there, hands on their haunches, just like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> People in my my view was they were pissed. Whatever they paid for sure, the yeah, show, maybe. they were pissed off yeah, about I mean, whatever the price of admission. If you was. just threw it in the middle there, King Cobra number one, no refunds. King Cobra number two, <laughs> <laughs> all transactions are final. As is where is. <laughs> all right, yeah, I'm glad we found a little bit of levity in this this episode. Well, I mean this this Cobra show or the Snake show, I, they're trying to be more than a Cobra show, but it's just it is. <laughs> It is so weirdly fascinating to me. You get so little of it. Yes. The fact that Rambo works here, and you know, the fact that this is where he landed. Which I'll, I have a question about in a minute. I will save that question until we get there. But all uh, right. So my my first little detail I had a lot of my stuff we've covered because uh, there's there's not a ton in this movie. Yeah. Um, Again, eighty minutes. Yes. <laughs> the credits start at eighty minutes and like twenty seconds. And a lot of it is just people getting killed <laughs> of right. those eighty minutes. But my first thing was just Michael. He is just filled with a ton of bad ideas. Okay. Can't kill the pirates, despite the fact that now what you're telling me in the director's cut is his fiance is Rambo is, is effectively saying what they will do to her. Yeah. His fiance, Michael, no, can't do it. Can't kill the pirates. Going up river in the first place. 
is a terrible idea. And then having to report the pirate killings, it's like, Michael, are you trying? Do you want the audience to just hate you? I know. Well, also, he saw what Rambo did. It's like, you murdered those people, and I plan to report you for the murders. What do you think Rambo's going to do? It's a miracle Rambo didn't kill him. I mean, I mean, we He's know full of a ton of bad ideas. We know Rambo is a good man who isn't going to just commit cold-blooded murder. But this guy doesn't know that. He just saw him just brutally he kill five right, pirates, exactly, and to tempt fate and to say, "I'm going to report you." He is full <laughs> with a bunch of bad ideas. Yeah. Well, we did skip the end because his whole thing is you should, it's never right to take a life, and, and he then does. he does. In the, I'm sorry if keep bringing it up. In the director's cut, it's more clear that he's doing it to save Lewis. Right? Lu- okay. Is it? Is it in the theatrical cut, is that clear that he's doing it to save, to save Lewis? That's what it looked like to me. Okay. Because I think it, it was maybe more clear. Because Lewis, you know, somebody's got the drop on him, and Lewis is still firing at somebody, and that uh, Michael intervenes. Okay, maybe just watching the theatrical cut, I didn't really notice it until I saw it the second time in the director's cut. But anyway, um, yeah, he kills a guy and then has a kind of a freak out, understandably. But um, yeah, I, I don't know if there's, I mean, I think there is a message there. I think it's saying that Rambo is right that they're you know we all have we're all capable of violence, even this guy who swore to never kill under uh, certain circumstances absolutely. yeah so a lot a lot of this stuff with Michael, I agree he's making a lot of bad decisions, but it's it's mostly to set up that moment at the end where to show how far he he's come that he's killed a guy yeah so. that's fair uh okay, so speaking of those pirates there's a as they're trying to sneak by the pirates uh there's a moment. <laughs> I was kind of annoyed with Rambo, and I, I feel like someone should have said something. Uh, where <laughs> they're like, "What is it?" And it's like, "Pirates, tell everyone to get down and don't make a sound." Michael goes over to the rest of the group, whisper, whisper, "Be quiet!" <laughs> you just told him to tell them. <laughs> You're right. I <laughs> didn't actually let him have... tell. I was like, I, I, well, I wanted to be like, "You just told me to say it. You just told me to tell them to shut up." At least give me one sentence to tell them. Everyone, I'll 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 play a little devil's advocate on this one. I think I I think I know what the issue is. Is that, that Rambo's got a boss that he doesn't like? He's taking it out on Michael. Sure, I guess so. You know, now he's in charge. Exactly, he's paying it he, forward. He is the boatman, and he's in charge, and he's giving confl- you know orders that Michael's trying to follow, and then immediately undermines it because that's probably what his bo- you know his boss told him go get me snakes. He went out and got snakes. He didn't know he wanted pythons, and there weren't pythons to get. So I think Rambo is taking it out on Michael. Like any boss, he's being unreasonable, has unreasonable expectations, yes. and giving uh, conflicting, <laughs> conflicting orders. And do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, I just find it kind of funny. I mean, it's, it's there's not a lot of like most Rambo movies. There's not a lot of comedy in this movie, or like moments of humor. So just he says, "Don't talk." That's specifically what it says. Tell everyone to get down, and be quiet. There, don't talk. There, there isn't. But I'll, I'll tell you actually another. Skipping far ahead, but a good trans transition on another moment of comedy and this is i think some of the reason why i think there's some charisma to to lewis's character he actually has some some great lines i i I noted a couple the air smells like a wet dog and then uh calling um michael and all them god squatters all of that stuff i think made him i don't know if it's relatable but certainly a little bit more charismatic he um, is in in some ways he's unlikable, but in some ways he is the most uh, interesting yeah. character outside of Rambo himself. Yeah. yeah, and just he definitely like I honestly I felt I felt that description got me to what they were trying. The air smells like wet dog. I'm like, yes, yeah. I know what that. Now whether or not it actually did, don't know, but I'm like, I know what that smells like. Is it in the theatrical cut when he's talking to Rambo when they're going up river and he goes like, these god squatters, they don't know what they're doing. 
then they send the devil to do God's work. Okay, yep. and he taps the knife on yeah. him. Like that's that's a really like it's it's just overblown enough. Like we're not supposed to like this guy, no, but, but he's also <laughs> kind of fun. You he know? is. I mean, to, that the reason I think the I, I felt like this was the Expendables inspiration in a in a small way is that felt very much like a Statham as oh what's Christmas's first name uh, Lee Christmas Lee, that felt a li- that line sent, sent the God Squatters sending that felt like Jason Statham one hundred percent to me he's got a similar accent too yeah, I imagine uh, a, that's like an East End London or yeah. something or I, I don't even so I, that I, might, I shouldn't be saying I have no idea but it it sounds like they're from the same yeah place. and that may be some of it but just the dialogue itself also felt like something that would have been written for Lee Christmas. Yeah, no, they, they, there's some similarities for sure, including like the kind of overinflated ego yeah. to a degree. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, and Graham McTavish, the actor, I've, I think I've only seen him in this and one other movie, and it's one we will be covering in Creed. Oh, oh, I didn't he, remember that. He's the the he's Ricky Conlon's manager okay. in Creed. Okay, he's like you got yourself uh, thrown in prison. And you just, you got to do one last fight. You're taking this fight. He's a, he's that guy. Gotcha. I love him in Creed, and I love him in this. And it's like, what else has he been in? I wonder if I've seen him and not noticed. Probably, I have a while I have to go look now. He seems like a guy who should have a, uh, a career making B movies as oh, yeah. like you know the lead in a million B movies. I feel like if this guy had been ten years older and had been around in like the late eighties and nineties, he would have had that career. I can see that he's just a little too young to have been like an eighties action hero and become like a B level yeah. uh, action star. He's perfect for it. I feel like he should. I don't know how old that guy is, but um, maybe too late now, but. He's great. In both movies I've seen him in, I've really liked him. So Enjoyed him without a doubt. All right, what do you got next? Uh, a ton of the stuff we already talked about. Okay, I have one nitpick about when Rambo holds the arrow to uh, um, what is it? Lewis? Lewis. Lewis to his head. Because there's kind of a standoff, and this is where he says, live for nothing or die for something. It's a great moment, and I think it's nice to see this kind of tension come to a head, at least for a moment until they all decide, okay, let's put our guns slash bows away and go, go do our job. My pet peeve about this is a bow is not a gun. No. <laughs> when you shoot a gun, the bullet is coming out at full speed. You know, you put, if you put your hand over the barrel, the bullet will go through your hand. A bow, the arrow is only traveling as fast as the distance. You know, you pull a bowstring back two feet it's not traveling full speed until it travels two feet to get back. You know what I mean? Like yes. it only tra- it, he, he's holding this this uh, arrowhead close. right to the, like, an inch from Graham McTavish's face. If he lets go of this bow, the arrow travels forward a quarter of an inch and goes boop and just bounces off his head because well, it's not traveling the full distance to yes. get up to speed. That's true, but I think he had it pointed at his eye, so I think it still would have done some damage. But Maybe. I, I okay, understand he loses your point. his eye. Yeah, I understand your point. It is not. What I'll get to on my next point about actually the bow, this, this is a good transition for me. Okay. What I fully enjoyed, even though this is not the cartoon Rambo, certainly not the cartoon, uh, real cartoon Rambo, but the cartoonish Rambo, right. they still managed to make a plausible, like visceral, realistic Rambo have explosive arrowheads because well not quite but yes but you but i'm getting to the point is they found a way to <laughs> right to do the gymnastics to still have him sure. kill a guy with an arrow and explode yeah totally. that was amazing to me 
Oh, and it's it, that's what's make that and it was come up and yeah, as well. exactly that's what was, that's what yes. I was about to say. It's so satisfying to see that one of these bad guys fall on this mine. Yeah, yes. I guess it makes sense that the most cartoonish scene is the scene where Rambo is shooting the arrows. Yeah, because it's the most it's the weapon the that Rambo has always right. used in a in a w- silly way. Yes. He's the ultimate soldier, but he has a bow and arrow, you know what I mean? It's always been silly. And can blow up trucks with them. <laughs> I still, I remember laughing so hard the first time. It's so absurd. I'll still buy it. I'll, I'll, and, I'll suspend my but, disbelief. But I told you that to see what's great is in Rambo 3, that helicopter pilot, right. he, he knows he's doomed. I mean, a it, guy with a bow and arrow pops up over a hill, and the guy goes, Wah! he freaks out. Whereas he should, he should be laughing. But in the end, he was justified to freak out because he he's killed by the explosive boner. He, I mean, he knows that's how that's the that's the thing is if if Lewis and company didn't just know him as Boatman, but actually knew who John Rambo was, they'd know. I'm like, no, this is the guy. He yeah. blows up helicopters with a bow and arrow. Right. Well, even if they don't know that he blows up helicopters, just imagine this scenario where they're like, we can't do anything. We have all the sophisticated guns, and we can't do anything with all this equipment we have. And then a guy just shows up with a bow and arrow and saves the day. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine being in that position of just like, wow, we really got shown up by this guy. He's got a bow and arrow, and he showed us up. You could have... Stallone could have rewritten that sequence in that scene where you didn't have to have the standoff. They were just like so embarrassed. They're like they've kind of felt like, <laughs> yeah, um, we got to really <laughs> follow this guy. We basically said we're helpless, and he <laughs> we yeah. came in with a bow and arrow and just wrecked shot. Rambo's immediately established dominance over these guys. I killed these guys with a bow and arrow. There was four of you, five of you. You're doing what I say. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anyway. All right, all right. So I, that that was the last thing I had on the bow bow and arrow, but I, I definitely wanted to give credit for uh, still having explosive arrows. Yeah, they got there. They still had the the moment. Well, first blood doesn't have any explosive arrows. No, but so. you, you, yeah, you don't. It's not necessary to do it, but they still found a way to do it. I agree. It's 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 a nice moment. The only things I have left to talk about are you know Rambo obliterating guys with that uh, gun emplacement. Uh, one slight pet, pet peeve is when he's shooting the guy in the front seat. The truck is not damaged in the slightest. It's not. No, it's just, the guy disintegrates, but the truck is fine. Really, I thought that like the wind. I thought there was damage. It's so. probably yeah, the windshield probably breaks. But uh, let's put it this way: the damage is not too in the same proportion. <laughs> like, what the, I got there you. shouldn't have been like an engine left. So you know, <laughs> what, so what you're speaking, saying is that that poor driver absorbed way too much of the blow. Yes. from... If this was realistic, probably what would happen is he would have shot the gun. The bullet sure would have flipped the truck over, and he would have been like, whoops, that was a <laughs> tactical error. That's all. It just doesn't seem... It, it feel, the, the, the truck didn't even like wiggle when he's shooting the That's, front of the truck. That is fair. All right, so what I wanted to note, this is only actually kind of me admitting my, my own foolishness. What's funny is when you mentioned that bomb, my first viewing through... I honestly, I thought that was just some setup because it was from England in World War II. Right. I thought it was a setup for something like some sort of joke for Lewis or Schoolboy. And so when they didn't then have like a payoff of them saying, you know, something, you sure. know, smarmy or whatever about it, I'm like, oh, well, that was a setup with no, you know, no payoff. And then, well, <laughs> boy, did I feel stupid. There absolutely was a payoff. I just needed to wait like 30 minutes. See, that's interesting because I think when I saw, I saw this in theaters at the time, and I think when I saw it in theaters, I thought that was just like a little bit of like historical color. I, I can see that just too. Like, right. Oh, you know, this, this, there's still bombs that England dropped in Burma. They never cleaned them up, you know, and this is just a historical fact. And, and I didn't expect it to come back. And you could also wonder: Was this the jungle that Michael Caine was chasing the bandit in The Dark Knight? 
<laughs> okay. I guess. Yeah, it was Burma, it was right? In Burma. So anyway. the bandit had been throwing bombs away. Just throwing them away. Uh, I've only, I've, I, I really have only got one other. You got anything else you want to cover in little details? Not really. Just one special effects observation when Rambo obliterates that truck. And I don't know if this ha- happened on purpose or by accident, but one of the one of the soldiers in the back, you know, it's just a bunch of dummies, I'm sure. Yeah. Head fully pops off like a bottle rocket and goes straight up. <laughs> and it's all I can see watching that shot. It's just one particular shot. Everyone's just, boom, just getting shot up and just one head just, bloop. <laughs> the top of the Pez dispenser yeah. broke off. Yeah, that's what it looks like. It's just like a fake head just going, bloop, <laughs> straight up out of the frame. Uh, I just noticed it, so that's all. So we've covered it already, but in the CGI. But what I, you know, popped into my head the first viewing of the the final maiming sequence, or you know, cutting oh. open of the villain was all I could think of. Ironically enough, Nicholas Cage is I take pleasure in gutting you, boy. Is all I could think of when I watched that. Well, that's the, the thing. First time. Nobody takes pleasure in anything in this movie. No, Rambo does not do take not. pleasure in this. No. Uh, as satisfying as it is to watch that guy get killed, but um, yeah, I guess now that you mention it, that is sort of the equivalent of the maiming sequence. That is this movie. That's the closest sequence. thing. Yeah, without yeah, because he hides. Yeah, that's a, that's a prerequisite. Rambo has to hide, wait for someone to come by, and then jump out and stab them, and that's totally what happens there. So yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah. I take back my earlier criticism of a lack of maiming sequence. Fair right? enough. I'll, I'll take that as uh, that's enough for me. All right. So you ready for the little? Uh, excuse me. Are you ready for Devil's Advocate? Let's do it. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. And I want to have them answered immediately. All right, The Devil's Advocate, the segment of the show where we ask each other questions we've derived from watching the movie, and we try and answer the questions that are posed to us. I have very few because this movie is so short and so straightforward. <laughs> There's not a lot of uh, like nooks and crannies to explore. There, there are the straightest of straight roads I've, or I've rivers, only, I guess. I've only got a few, and we actually already covered some of them because I was really curious about that whole snake show operation, and we've already covered yeah. it. Well, we had but, to cover that. But I've got a few others. Okay, well, I'll start with my first question, which is early on uh, in the movie, we see Rambo kind of, we just kind of see a little bit of Rambo's life. He catches those snakes, and then we see him fishing with his bow and arrow. He's got a bow, an arrow tied to a line, and he, he arrow, he's successful. Arrows a fish, yeah. And then on the way back, he's got a lot of fish, so he must have been fishing for a while. And some uh, Buddhist monks on a boat pass them. And they hand off a bunch of fish to the Buddhist monks, which is an interesting connection to Rambo 3, where he was living in Thailand yeah. and living in this Buddhist temple. But he's no longer living in the Buddhist temple. He seems to still have some kind of relationship with them, but he's no longer living there. So my question is, what happened? <sighs> did the Buddhists kick Rambo out of their temple? <laughs> or did he willingly leave? It's not like he has a great life here. He's, getting, he's barely getting by. Seems like. I was just going to say, so I, here's where I would go. And I immediately was going down this path before you could even ask the question. I think Rambo got kicked out. Okay, why? Follow-up question, why? Okay, hold on. I think he got kicked out. <laughs> because I don't think he would... Because he's lived, his life is, I think, far worse now than it was in Rambo 3. Yeah. I don't think he, he went left on his own. I think he was asked to leave. Yeah, in Rambo 3, it seems like he's trying to get himself back together. He's, this is the place where he's trying to find peace. And then he has, he has not found peace in this movie. Is the opposite. He's not. So I'm going to say the reason he got kicked out is he was there doing some handyman repair work. And I'm going to say that his work wasn't up to snuff. <laughs> and that was enough to expel him? And so what I think it is, it's like, hey, we're kind of carrying this guy. He's not a Buddhist. He's kind of an outsider. But, you know, we when he was when it looked like, you know, he could kind of pull his own weight, we were going to let him stick around. 
So I think he was, again, I don't think he was kicked out. I'd say he was asked to leave, and he did it voluntarily. And that's why maybe there's still some you know, sort of really, all right, I'll give you some fish, you know, because there's no ill will. Sure, okay. But that's I did, that's a, true. I did a crappy job as a handyman, so yeah. as a gesture, you know, he gives them some fish every once in a while. That's a fair point. Like, the bridges haven't been burned, so yeah, he still has this relationship with them. So, yeah, it couldn't have been too bad. Right. I was wondering, because, you know, he obviously left for a while to deal with his, his buddy in Afghanistan. Yes. And I was wondering if... Uh, Somebody took his place? Well, I was thinking, like... I like that idea they got a better handyman while he was gone. Well, not even just a better handyman, but, like, you know, he maybe was the... Do you remember the Saturday Night Live sketch, The Guest That Wouldn't Leave? It was Jen Belushi, and it's just like, you know, yes. a, a party has wound down, and he just won't leave. He's like, oh, I'm going to watch, uh, that was a great movie, and let's watch this movie. And, he just, and it's, it's like a horror movie parody, and Jane Curtin's like, no! Yeah. Like, like you know, he's a, he's a monster. And Rambo is that. Yeah, I wonder if what we're seeing in Rambo 3 is he just won't leave, and so when he goes to Afghanistan, like, this is our chance. Don't let him they back in when he comes locks. back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like that That's idea. what I was wondering, too. yeah, if he ever managed. Because I do like the continuity where he's living, I mean... Rambo 2, the base is in Thailand, and he just walks off the base. He's like, all right, I'm done. I'm, I'm just walking. And he walks to this Buddhist temple or founded at some point and was living in Thailand in 3, goes to Afghanistan, has that mission, at some point came back, and now he's still living in Th- I like the continuity where he's just, because he happened to be in Thailand when he walked <laughs> off that base, this is just where he lives now. Yes. Um, I just find that interesting. I, li- I like that there's that continuity. All right, so I did my best on that one. I think I did an okay job. Yeah, I think uh, at least we have some plausible explanations. All right, so I guess my first question is, it actually has to do, and maybe this isn't devil's advocate, it's more tactics and strategy, but the the tough sequence we talked about, about the um, the shelling of the village, I is... The the shelling that goes on, it is initially the first wave is when they're just establishing and, and basically you know firing on the the homes and then some of the um, you know residents are fleeing. Right. But then they actually have their own troops advance in and they continue the shelling. So my question is, isn't it kind of demoralizing for you to be in that military and know that they are willing to shell while you are on the battlefield? That's a good point. It didn't occur to me. I think this is just not a particularly well-run military organization because okay, okay. you know they let these mercenaries get in and out of their base very that, easily. That is true. This is a permanent base. It seems like this isn't like something they just recently set up. Mercenaries have no problem getting in and out, and then at the end they they don't stand a chance against one guy on a gun emplacement, a sniper, and like four more guys with AKs. <laughs> that's true. And eventually the Karen rebels show up, but that's the battle's over by then. Yeah, they're just. They're cleaning up a few loose ends. Yeah, so I think it's probably just uh, disorganization okay. in general. Or maybe like uh, an Avengers Endgame where Thanos tells them to fire their cannons on their own troops when he... Maybe it's just like a totally self-serving thing. The villain is... I, I, I wasn't expecting to uh, compare the villain of Rambo to Thanos, but um, there you go. So do you think that that was a good strategy by Thanos? I guess at the time. I don't remember the specifics of... All right. At some point he's being threatened by, oh, it's a, a Scarlet Witch. She's messing him up, and he's just like fire on the truth on everybody. <laughs> he wanted to he wanted to blow up Scarlet Witch, and so he's just like, I don't care who you shoot at, just shoot at everybody. So maybe that was what was going on. He just you know win at all costs. I mean, this guy, you know, I, this guy is a sadist. The, it's, it's the most sadistic villain maybe ever in a movie. You know, these his soldiers are just 
kids he's kidnapped from neighboring villages. Yeah. He doesn't care about them. So I mean, that's that, probably the that's answer. probably actually a fair point there. Yeah. yeah. All right. What else you got? Uh, okay. This is more, this is like a logistical thing that I'm sure there's a scenario that where this makes sense, but I don't understand it. The missionaries hire Rambo. They need his help to take them upriver to the point where even when he says no, they keep asking and asking until he finally says yes. So they don't seem to have any alternatives. Then he takes him up there and is like, we'll just take the overland route. We'll just, we'll just walk back. Why couldn't they? <laughs> Why couldn't they walk there? If you can walk back, you can walk there, right? I think that's a fair point. There must be some explanation. There must be some, like, it's easier to cross, get out of Burma, across the border, than into it or something. I mean, I, get, I, I couldn't I, figure out what the scenario was. I guess it could be plausible that if you're leaving the country as opposed to coming in, that maybe they, they're letting certain people out, right, that they don't want undesirables maybe, maybe i could see that but it still doesn't really make that much sense why you're sneaking up a river one way and taking the overland route the way yeah out. it just seemed like a plot convenience of just like to get rambo back home yeah so I, he's not just waiting around i think that's 100 percent. because yeah what's the alternative they had to say that otherwise rambo would be waiting around they never come back and then he, he goes on his own, and there aren't any mercenaries. Is basically yeah. I what guess it, you could have done that, but it uh, wouldn't have been as interesting. No, not at all. Because I think actually the mercenaries were one of the highlights of adding to the franchise. Yeah, no doubt. absolutely. All right. So really, I only have one other one um, that we haven't kind of already covered because I didn't have very many myself. That's good. Well, the, my last one we already talked about. So all right. So my last it. one is so Rambo gets the news that um, from the pastor from the Colorado church that he needs Rambo yeah. to lead the mercenaries. And he says, well, well, no, he doesn't want him to lead the mercenaries. He needs Rambo's help because Rambo knows where they were dropped off. Yeah. So basically to take the, to be the boatman again and take them up. But so to lead them like geographically, you yeah, know, not, not lead. But them. my point is they, they yeah, okay. need him. And so he says, well, when do you need me? And I think he says, well, as soon as you're ready, you know, as soon as you're ready, they're ready to go. Yeah. So my question is, knowing that, that the situation is that dire, did Rambo really have the time to sit there and forge a new weapon? <laughs> it seems like he really needed to get moving faster. Look, he needed that knife, clearly. I mean, he, if he hadn't had that knife, he wouldn't have been able to commandeer the gun. It was the, basically the most essential weapon in the entire movie. You know, it's it's... We obviously, you know, we, we said the Wrecking Crew Award isn't going to be a mystery, but maybe that knife should should get the award. Without the knife, wait, he wait. doesn't cut that dude's head off and take uh, well, the gun emplacement. I might have something for you in the Wrecking oh, Crew Oh, really? Award, you're, so. you're pulling a trick? Okay. I might be. So that that was the last question I had. So what you're I, saying is it was necessary, so it was worth it, the time invested. Yeah, it was worth the delay. I mean, given how slow that boat is, it's not like, you know, what's the difference? <laughs> An extra hour to forge a, a knife, you know? That actually maybe should have been a question. Could they have rowed themselves there faster than that <laughs> boat moved? <laughs> Graham McDavish says, I could swim faster than this, and he's <laughs> probably right. I, uh, you know, you, you needed the scene where Rambo says, when you're pushed, kill him as easy as breathing. Because yeah. they cut that line out of the earlier scene. They they wanted to use it, so he's just talking to himself in a voiceover. Yeah. I know? understand. That's fine. That's, that's, you know, it's a pump-up. It's not a gear up sequence in the classic sense of you know Arnold movies or Rambo two has a gear up sequence. There is no gear up sequence, but that's the equivalent. That's fair. It's a getting ready for battle sequence. So you know. All right, you uh, ready for the Silk Kozar corner? I am. Let's do it. Both of y'all. Yes. This is the segment where I take a deep dive into some piece of internet trivia that the movie made me curious about, named in honor of Silk Kozart and his character in Eraser. 
All was right. killed by magic uh, the rail gun. Rail guns that see through walls. No, no rail guns in this movie. And then see through walls. They do, right? Isn't that what happened in the eraser? I think so. They, they see through walls. So here's the thing, and I was curious about this time. And I, we've been we've talked a lot. I think on the Rambo three episode, we I, I took a deep dive into some sequels or so in some previous movie. I wanted to look. Oh no, it was Rambo five. Or I wanted to see who which which movie series went the longest, only numbering its sequels. Rocky five, not Rambo. Or, 5. Yeah, right. yeah. See, I did it. So uh, this time I was curious about long running series that have a very long gap and how frequently they continue on because you know 1988 to 2008 that was 20 years and obviously Rambo was a big deal in the 80s but by 2008 it was you know a pretty remarkable thing to try to bring it back and then you know I guess my my observation was you know most of the time when this happens where there's a long gap and then they put out another movie it's usually like a kind of a farewell nostalgia yeah Yeah, it's like let's just do one more and very rarely does the series continue on after that but now there's a fifth rambo so i was curious how how common is that where there's at least a 20 year gap and i'm talking chronological technically it was like a 19 year seven month gap or something whatever whatever. i'm just going by 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 calendar year so from 88 to 2008 to the 20 year gap so i looked up every movie series where there was a gap of 20 years or more and then after that 20-year gap, was there then any subsequent movies? Right. How common is this where there's another movie afterwards? Because I, I, I had the feeling that probably doesn't happen often. You just do one more. Let's just, I would know. have guessed that almost everyone was that way. And, and you would guess correctly. So uh, this is a pretty long list. I'm going to probably skip over some. There's a lot. I've got like foreign movies that I'd never heard of. Maybe I'll touch on a few of them. But to be clear, I'm not counting reboots or remakes. You know, like Planet of the Apes had a long gap, but then they just totally rebooted it. I'm just I'm talking about sequels that actually continue on the story yeah. 20 years later, uh, and I'm also talking about even like for instance the Halloween movies. Halloween 2018 is technically a direct sequel to the first movie, but there were like nine in between, so that's technically a 40 year gap, and that's the only you know if you consider that continuity. But I, I'm you know if a movie came out or like the Star Wars prequels. Right, you yeah, say, oh, from Return of the Jedi to The Force Awakens—that's a long gap, but there are prequels in between. So I'm, I'm strictly 20 years of no movies, and I'm also not uh, counting direct-to-video crap, like <laughs> like Kindergarten Cop Two or there's Bambi Two and stuff like that. Okay. Does not count. If you're counting that Bambi Two at like an 80-year gap, but like, who cares about Bambi Two? Pineapple. Uh, <laughs> yes, you can go back and listen to that episode if you want. All right, so uh, this is in order of how long the gap was. So obviously there's Rambo, we've talked about plenty. The Living Dead series. So you've got Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead is 1985, and then there was Land of the Dead in 2005, which is not a good movie. 20-year gap, no subsequent sequels. Independence Day, 20-year gap. (laughs) Independence Day, 1996. Man, that was 20 years. 20 years. Resurgence of 2016. No additional sequels so far. I don't think there will be. I don't think that movie did that great. No, it did not at all. Uh, There's a Hungarian. I'm, I'm just going to do the ones. I wrote, I wrote them all down, but then the list ended up being very long, so I'm not going to list them all. Okay. Train Spotting. 21 years from 96 to 2017. I've not seen the second Train Spotting yet. I'm curious. I think it got decent uh, reviews. I think it got decent reviews. I have not seen it. I like the original Train Spotting. I don't yeah. know if I watched it today, if I'd feel. I don't know. It's been a while. Since I haven't watched it in forever, yeah, but I, mean, I liked it a lot at the time. But anyway, so far, no subsequent sequels. The Freshman, the Harold Lloyd silent film from 1925, which is a movie that I have seen. 
Apparently there was a sequel to that called The Sin of Harold Diddlebuck. So that's 22 years, no sequels after that. I have heard and I've seen the first, I've seen the freshman, so that's why I'm covering it. Okay. Django, the original Italian Django. There have been a million westerns with the name Django in them because they didn't copyright it properly or something, which is why Quentin Tarantino was able to use it for Django Unchained. Like, it, it basically was immediately like available public, for public any, domain. And it was a giant hit. So in, in Italy, it was like every Western was called like Django, this and Django Returns. That's awesome. Um, but the only official sequel was Django Strikes Again. So that's 66 to 87, 21 years. No official sequels, even though there have been a million Django movies. Uh, there's been a th- talk of a third official Django movie, but so far nothing has happened there. Jackie Chan's Armor of God movies, which I've only seen the second one. Armor of God is 86. Armor of God 2, Operation Condor was 91. They, they released it in the U.S. Just, they didn't, I think it was Operation Condor. Yeah, they didn't tell us it was a sequel. <laughs> I, I saw it at the time. Uh, I didn't know it was a sequel. And then I guess in 2012, there was a third one called CZ-12. So 21 years, no sequels after that. All right. All right, Carrie, 1976. And then the sequel was The Rage, Carrie 2, in 1999. I was going to say, I remember that. It was somewhere in the 90s, I remember Yeah, I think it got savage. Nobody liked it. Uh, So that's 23 years. No additional sequels. There was a reboot, but again, I'm not counting that. So 23 years now. Wall Street, Uh, 1987 to 2010, Money Never Sleeps. No sequels after that. Thank God. Uh, There's another Western uh, Italian... Shia LaBeouf. (laughs) I didn't hate Money Never Sleeps. I mean, it's, it's, (laughs) it's a very different movie. Uh, so another Spaghetti Western series, the Trinity series, which I think I've seen the first one. I went on a big Spaghetti Western kick at some point. I think I've seen the, so they call me Trinity. It's 1970. Trinity is still my name, 1971. And then Sons of Trinity, 1995. Nothing after that. So, so far, no sequels at all. The Hustler, 1961. Oh yeah. Color Color Money, Money. 1986, 25 years. Nothing since then. Uh, Hope and Glory, 1987. That's a, I think a Merchant Ivory. It's a British movie. And then there was a sequel, Queen and Country, 2014. I've heard of Hope and Glory. I've never seen either of those. Nope. Nothing nothing since then. Uh, The Dario Argento Three Mothers trilogy, which I didn't know this was a trilogy. I've seen Suspira, 1977. I had no idea this was a part of a series. Uh, Inferno, 1980. And then The Mother of Tears in 2007. I liked Suspira a lot. And there's a remake of Suspira that I haven't seen that I heard was pretty good. So, anyway. But nothing after The Gap. So... Captain Blood, the old Errol Flynn movie, 1935, and then they, they made a sequel called The Son of Captain Blood in 1963. So that's 28 years, nothing after that. Uh, okay. At this point, I think it's safe to say there won't be anything. No. <laughs> if well, the last one was in the 1960s. Uh, you never know. There may still be some uh, blood in that stone, Captain Blood, no pun intended. Maybe. Uh, okay, Tron, 1982 to 2010, Tron uh, yeah. Legacy. 28 years, I don't think that movie's getting another sequel. No. Nobody saw that movie. The Thing. So there's The Thing from Another World, the original one, 1951. And then there was John Carpenter's remake, The Thing, 1982. And they made a prequel to The Thing in 2011. So that's 29 years. Not a sequel, but it's in the same continuity. So I think that counts. But nothing since then because I heard that prequel was terrible. I haven't seen it yet. And probably never will. Okay. This is a movie that's coming out soon. But I'm counting it. Bill and Ted. Oh, yes. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Very excited about it. Yeah, me too. Well, that's, I don't know if they finished filming. Aww. That's the thing. I, it's supposed to come out in 2020, in the, November or something, but I would not be surprised. Well, who knows if theaters will even be open. Yeah. So it, it almost certainly will be delayed, but I'm using the 2020 date as of this. So 91 was Bogus Journey, and then 2020, so that's 29 years. 
Uh, who knows if there will be another one after that, but I doubt it. 29 years. 29 years since Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Okay, Mad Max. The Beyond Thunderdome was the third one, 1985, and then Fury Road is 2015, so 30 years. So far, nothing after Fury Road. So far, it's... Uh, and it is interesting, because that is one where I could see there being more, because it was well-received, successful, etc. Yeah. George Miller's talked about making a sequel, but he's a kind of an old guy. I don't know if he's going to... He's got he's it. Gotta, he's got to... Yeah, hopefully. Okay, The Odd Couple. I did not know there was an Odd Couple 2, but there is an Odd Couple 2. So the original is 1968. The Odd Couple 2 is 1998. 30 year gap no no odd couple 3 I mean was that Walter like, Matthau and uh, and uh, what's his, his name they didn't last too much longer after that Well that's what I was going to say was was that like a renaissance cuz of grumpy old men Is, Probably. that must be what it was <laughs> I think that's probably what happened Wow The Maltese Falcon had a sequel in the 70s who knew? Why? Maltese Falcon, nineteen forty-one. The Black Bird was the sequel, nineteen seventy-five. I guess it's like a wacky comedy. <laughs> it's like a Citizen Kane sequel. Yeah. Well, the Maltese Falcon isn't that highbrow. It's a it's a detective story. I kind of want to see. I do. I, I like the Maltese Falcon. I don't love it. Okay. I love detective stories, and you'd think that'd be right up my alley, but I don't think it's quite as good as its reputation. Anyway, 34-year gap. No, As far as I know, there's never been a third Maltese Falcon movie. Uh, okay, Blade Runner. 1982, uh, Blade Runner 2049 came out uh, in 2018, so it's a 36-year gap. And I don't think that's going to get a sequel. No. Did not do well. Uh, okay, The Shining. 1980 to 2019, Doctor Sleep. Yeah, I have not seen it yet. I, I've only seen the extended director's cut and thought it was really good. Good I don't. Enough. I don't know if that's. Uh, it's on my list. I want to see it. I just haven't yet. I liked it a lot. My only complaint. This isn't really a spoiler. My only complaint is, you know, The Shining has the kind of supernatural psychic aspect, and it also has father going crazy aspect. I think The Shining is leans much more on the kind of the Nicholson becoming a killer thing. I mean, obviously he's being influenced by like ghosts and stuff. The supernatural element is a part of The Shining, but it doesn't. It feels like the equation kind of flips in Doctor Sleep. It's a little more supernatural, a little less uh, okay. guy going on a murderous rampage. Uh, anyway, thirty-nine year gap there, and uh, I don't, I don't think Stephen King has written a third book in that series, so there's no book to base it off of. Um, okay, this is a this movie series I heard of and have always wanted to watch, but I've never watched them. The Coffin Joe series. These are Bra- Brazilian horror movies. As a horror fan, I've always heard you know heard the tales. They're 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 cult favorites. Okay, I, I've I've heard of them as being like crazy and extreme. Uh, but anyway, the first movie is At Midnight I'll Possess Your Soul. Or excuse me, At Midnight I'll Take Your Soul, nineteen sixty three. And then the second movie was This Night I'll Possess Your Corpse, nineteen sixty seven. And then forty one years went by, and they made a third movie called Embodiment of Evil, and that's forty one years. That's the last movie in the series. So nothing after that. Uh, I'm going to skip this because I had never heard of it, but I want to watch it. There's a Japanese kaiju movie called The X from Outer Space that was had a 41-year gap. Easy Rider. Oh, yeah. Had a sequel. Did you know about this? I didn't know it. I did know. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I didn't know about it. Easy Rider, 1969. Easy Rider, The Ride Back, 2012. 43-year gap, no subsequent sequels. Now it'll just make me think, yo, Dennis Hopper, move that piece of shit. Bunch of goddamn hippie. Uh, anyway, okay, The Wizard of Oz, 1939, yeah. Return to Oz, 1985, 46 years, no third Wizard of Oz movie. No, the sequel was not needed. 
I remember kind of liking it as a kid, but it just seemed crazy and like uh, not at all like The Wizard of Oz, but in a way that I, I remember kind of liking it. All right, Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins is 1964. God, you're right. Mary Poppins Returns, 2018. 54-year gap. No additional Mary Poppins we films. We love you, Sherry Bobbins. <laughs> and there's, there's, this is the last one that never got a, th- a subsequent sequel. This is another Disney movie. I wonder if you can guess what what is the these movies. I think this is the longest gap. It is the longest gap between movie and sequel ever. Steamboat Willie. <laughs> no, I don't think there's ever been a Steamboat Willie. I and mean, there's been plenty of Mickey Mouse shorts, yeah. I'm sure. But no, no Fantasia. Oh, uh, actually, it wasn't that far off. No, yeah, it's true. Uh, 1940 was the original Fantasia. That's right. Fantasia 2000 was 1999. 59-year gap. They have not yet made a third Fantasia. I imagine they'll wait until 2050 if they do it. <laughs> uh, so that those are all. That's a list of every yeah. time this has happened with no. But that's not the full list because there are three, three instances where they actually continued out. Well, four if you can include uh, Rambo. There, right. So there are three additionals. Drum roll. First one is Psycho. The original movie was 1959. Yeah. Psycho two came out in 1983. So a 24-year gap. And then there were additional sequels after that. Psycho 3 was 86. Really? And Psycho 4, 1990. Man, the only thing I remember was the remake. Yes, and of course, the Vince Vaughn Anna Hayes remake, which uh, was after that, I think. God, yeah, it was, and there was just no point in its existence. I think it came out that, uh, what's his name who directed that? Was just, Gus Van just, Zandt. Yeah, Gus Van Zandt just did it to get out of like a contract or something. Like He was con- <laughs> contractually obligated to make, to a, make movie. a movie. So he just remade a classic Hitchcock shot there's, for shot. There's some story behind it where there was there's more to the story than just we wanted to make a... Yeah, I think it was some... There was something like that. Okay. Or he wanted to like poke fun at the idea of remakes to like prove why remakes suck i think it's he had some kind of like subversive twisted idea logic. behind all that to make right. it shot for shot i did not know there were that many psycho sequels i can't imagine any of them. i've seen psycho 2 and it's actually better than you would think i've never seen three or four. Oh, all right okay this is a movie series i've only heard of uh the original is a silent film it's the dr mabuse i think it's pronounced <laughs> dr mabuse the gambler 1922 the testament of dr mabuse 1933 and then the thousand eyes of dr mabuse in 1960. The new one will be Dr. Moose and the Spruce Caboose. <laughs> well, there were five more movies. I didn't write them all down, but... Oh, my God. There was, there's a 27-year gap from 1933 to 1960, and then they made five more sequels oh in the 60s. Oh the Dr. Mabuse series. And then the final one, this is a series that almost did this twice. Almost had two separate 20-year gaps. One was 20 years, one was 19 years. Good lord. I never in a million years would have remembered this series, but then when I saw it on the list, I went, oh, of course. Shaft. 1971, the original Shaft. Shaft's Big Score, 1972. Shaft in Africa, 1973. Then there's a 27-year gap to the year 2000. Shaft uh, with the Samuel L. Jackson. And then 2019, another movie named Shaft. Which is also starring Samuel L. Jackson and uh, Richard Roundtree and has a, yeah, third, but are those, a third shaft. Are those considered sequels? They are. Really? They all take place in the same universe. Because Richard Roundtree is in the 2000... I've seen the 2000 shaft and he's in it as the original shaft. That I do and, remember because I think Christian Bale is in that, isn't he? Is he? I, I don't remember he is. that. I may have not known who Christian Bale was when I'm I saw it. I'm pretty sure Christian Bale is in that. Maybe. Um, yeah. No, Richard Roundtree's in there. He's, he's in the 2019 shaft as the original shaft. 
they're sequels. It's it's about the Shaft family. It's you know, every, it's the, the three generations now of Shaft. I didn't see 2019 Shaft. I kind of want to. But yeah, Sam Jackson he was got, too- like a wheelchair. He's pretty old, but he's still walking around. He's you know, he's he's more there for guidance than anything at this point. Right. But that's that's that character. That's Shaft. All right, he's a bad mother heifer. That is crazy. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, almost two twenty year gaps in Shaft. So I mean, that's that was uh, worth it just to remember. Like wow. That series is still all it's all one continuity. Yeah. They didn't reboot it. I have not seen the 2019. The 2000 was eh, it was okay. I liked it fine. Yeah. I, I did find out cuz I remembered in excuse me, in 2000 Shaft they said that Sam Jackson was Richard Roundtree's nephew. Oh. So oh, his name yeah. is John Shaft Jr. but he's his nephew, but I guess this I guess this is a spoiler for 2019 Shaft. I'm not sure if uh, it matters, but I, I saw cuz I was going I, I I had the same reaction of like is this a sequel or is it not? And I read a little bit about it, and I guess they they retconned that Richard Roundtree is Sam Jackson's father. So oh, okay. it's Shaft, and then Shaft the second, and Shaft the third, and they're all you know <laughs> father grandfather, etc. <laughs> Family business. Yeah. So anyway, four times out of forty one movie franchises franchises that took a twenty year gap, did it actually continue on after that twenty years? So yeah, and Rambo among yeah, us. Yeah, Ra- Rambo is a tough thing to do, and Rambo all did right. it. So I, we can talk about how good Last Blood is when we get there, whether or not it was worth it. You know, because this movie ends on a kind of a final note, and I then they undo I can't the read final. yet from your tape, from your body language. <laughs> that's, that's kind of by design. I'm, I'm trying know. to be unreadable. All right. All right, the body count. Why we're here. This movie, we only killed 48 people compared to the last one where we killed 119. I threw up my hands, and I said, thank God Kevin Keane did this, because <laughs> I, I can't imagine that end sequence. Uh, I did my best. I think... I, it's as, it's as good a number as we're going to get. All right, let's get it. So here's here's the surprising thing. So we're comparing Arnold Schwarzenegger's body count to Sylvester Stallone's. Arnold had an average body count of 14.39, total body count of 547. Here's the thing that was surprising to me is the total body count was very high, but Rambo's, Stallone's in particular... Wasn't as high as you thought. It's Because it's so violent and because it's so visceral, it feels like more than it is gotcha. when you actually do, like, tally it up. Because here's the thing. Let's, let's go through all the Rambo movies. So obviously in Rambo 1, in First Blood, we gave him one because we gave him the sheriff, right? Yeah. Or the, the whatever, not, not the sheriff, but the guy hanging out of the helicopter. Uh, we gave him that one. Then in Rambo 2, he has 58 on the body count. Rambo 3, Rambo killed 68 people. And in this one, the fourth one, 67. Really? One less than Rambo 3. That I never would have guessed in a million years. Now the total body count is enormous. Total body count for the movie is 181 compared to 121 and 3, 69 and 2, and probably, what, 4 in the first one? Where's the first one on this list? Oh, no, just the one. Yeah. It's 180? That feels that feels low. Really? It feels low, but it's more. It's basically the highest except for the you know, the couple of Expendables movies and Guardians of the Galaxy 2, <laughs> which, you know, that, that arrow did all work. That is the great outlier. But I think that beats any Arnold, or yeah, any Arnold movie total. Wow. Yeah, Commando was the highest. 106 is Commando. So compared to Commando, and isn't Commando doesn't Arnold have like 99 of those? Yeah, it's 99 out of 106. <laughs> that, that percentage is staggering. Yes. Yeah, Rambo can't compete with that in this movie or any of the Rambo movies really. Wow. But yeah, so compare 181 is a lot. Uh, Commando yeah. is 106. You know, and this is close to double. <laughs> this is like 80 percent more. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, that brings. Uh, Sylvester Stallone's average body count up almost a full point and a half. He was at 10.5 prior to Rambo. <laughs> it's a big now one. he's at 11.95 per movie. Uh, and uh, again, Arnold had a total body count of 547. Stallone's new 
He's on pace now for 669, and we're getting to the point where we probably don't even need to worry about the pace anymore, and we can just look at the total. Stallone's total body count, 466 of all the movies we've covered so far. So he's 81 behind Arnold's 547. So he only needs 81 more to catch him. Yeah, and I'm, I don't know the, the last Rambo movie, but I'm going to guess. It may not be as high. Last Blood may not be as high as Rambo 2008, but I'm sure there's a lot. Uh, well, the thing is, as we've commented before, it's all feast or famine with Stallone's movies, so it's going to have to carry a lot of the load, but if nothing else comes along to help it, consider 67 here, and you're saying it probably won't be as much, so let's say I, I'm not... I'm just going to say this. I obviously have seen Last Blood, so I know where it compares to this. So, yeah. so I'm, don't, don't read anything into this. I'm just going to say for the sake of argument, Last Blood also has the exact same amount, 67. He's got to get 14 elsewhere, and where's that going to come from? The, uh, cliffhanger, I don't know. If he, uh, he, how many people can he drop from a high place? You can do that one at a time. He doesn't get it. He doesn't have a machine gun, a gun emplacement, no, and, and cliffhanger. He's, he's going to clear it, but maybe it won't maybe. be by as much as you think. We still have Escape Plan 3. Who knows what kind of movie that is. Uh, I don't know if Backtrace is an action movie or not. That's the one. Is that the one with Matthew Modine? Yeah. I mean, Capone, who knows? That's got to have some gunplay in it. Yeah. He's, he's going to clear it. There, there's no doubt he's going to clear it. I think it. it's, it's likely, but not certain. I would put it at like four to one. The average, though, I'm not sure because there's just so many more movies. I can't imagine the average he ever gets there. Yeah, I mean, he's come up a lot, but I think that might be a lost cause. I think, yeah. uh, again, Arnold, the efficiency of a movie like Rambo, it's hard to compete with that. Commando, you mean. Or, yeah, Commando. <laughs> when you Jeez. have literally nine out of ten. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's more than nine out of ten. It's like nine, 99 of 107 is like right. 93% or something like that. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, don't sell them short. All, All right. right. Wrecking Crew Award? Let's do it. All right, the Wrecking Crew Award. This is the segment of the show where we give the award for the character or inanimate object that wrecked the most shop. Okay, well, it sounds like you're being clever. I this is I'm not being clever. Rambo wins it. He has won it every Rambo movie so far for me. Okay, it, so I I almost thought about giving it to the M2, but ultimately I sure. went with Rambo because he, and here's how I justified it in my mind. He did some major damage with that bow and arrow and he also did with the pistol on the pirate boat. So it should be Rambo, but in reality, 90% of the work was done by that M2 on yeah. that truck. Oh yeah. That thing was a wrecking ball. But Rambo had to do the work to commandeer that thing. It's true. So, you know, that's it's no true. small feat. No. So it not surprising going into it who it was going to be. I he got a run for his money, which I did not expect. Uh, from an in a, from a weapon, from a, yeah, from a weapon. Yeah, I'm thinking about Last Blood. I, there's no human being in any, uh, and this includes Last Blood. Nobody can compete with Rambo when it comes to this category. <laughs> I mean, yeah, as you've said before, we may as well call it the Rambo Award because, yeah. yeah. Okay, let's rate All the right, movie. Let's do it. Hey, hey, what the hell are you doing? You're punching car accident victims. No, 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 you don't understand. He was bad mouthing my film. All right, the Rocky rating, the segment of the show where we rate the movie based on Rocky opponents from Apollo Creed to Spider Rico. All right, so where where did you come in on this one? So I'm going to let you go first. I like this movie. I'm coming in pretty high. I mean, as tough as it is to say I like the movie because it is a tough watch and it's not like super fun, it 
it is effective at what it's setting out to do, and it That's is fair. it is, you know, I think the movie is exactly what it wants to be, what Stallone wanted it to be, and it's effective at what it does, and it's it's you know heart wrenching and gut wrenching and all that, and it's not fun, but I think it's a very very good movie. I'm giving it Apollo Creed. Oh, all right. So higher than me, I I wound up uh, giving this one a Clubber Lang, and I think the hard part for me. You know, we kind of joke, and I'm I'm looking at the soundboard buttons you have, you know, because we, we joke about things like collateral damage. None of that felt, like, appropriate talking about this this movie because of it's so realistic. Yeah. Or maybe not even realistic, but talking about a real heavy topic. I, I think the reason I moved it down a notch is it was just, it's not that it's a bad movie, but for what the genre is, to me, it, what this wasn't. I don't think intended to be a war movie. It felt more like an action movie or at least part of that franchise. So unfairly or, or maybe on my part, I just had, I had a tough time of saying I really liked this movie. And so I think that's the reason why I went with a, a clubber line. Yeah. It's structured like an action movie, but it has the tone of a war movie. I think yeah. that's really what it comes down to. But I think it's a question of whether you can accept that yeah. kind of, you know, mismatch, I guess. No, and I, I don't, this isn't one where I think, I strongly disagree, you know, with, with your rating. I can completely see, you know, the Apollo Creed. Here's, I think, the, the flaw with this rating system is... Okay. <laughs> no, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go a different place. The flaw with this rating system is you like the character Apollo Creed so much that the bar is so high that you never give a movie Apollo Creed because <laughs> <laughs> no movie can live up to your perception of Apollo Creed because you love that character. That might be fair. I I I'm, I need to go back into the archives. I know I've given some movies in Apollo Creed. I don't think that many. It's I mean, not you that have. Many. I mean, yeah, but I, I'm sure I've given out more than you. It's but in general, fair. I think I'm rating these movies higher than you. Yes, that that's all fair. I've had a. It's been more of a struggle for me on Stallone in general. So I probably have been harsher on some of these. But there's been other ones that I have admitted. I've been pleasantly surprised and higher ratings yeah. than I, I thought. Actually, our last movie, Shade, was much better than what I, I thought going in. I was very pleasantly surprised. It was better than you thought going in, but you didn't give it Apollo Creed. I mean, neither of us did. I'm not saying that you should have. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I'm that curious. was not an Apollo Creed. When, when, we're, when we're through this, I'm going to go back and tally what we gave everything and count them up and see how many. There's not going to be very many. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I know, I know, I know. No, it's your rating. You're entitled to give it whatever you want. Uh, okay. So, All right. So we ready uh, ready to end the season. We are, finally. The season's been going on forever for all sorts of reasons. <laughs> yes. I think we're going to make it to the end of the season without missing another week. We missed, we had to delay uh, uh, the tunnel movie. Daylight. <laughs> Took me a second. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> the tunnel movie. You know, the tunnel movie. That's what the natural disaster movies are. Yeah. The tunnel movie. Um, it's sort of like, you know, the girl who drove the bus? It's the, the, the net. Oh, I thought you were starring that girl from the, the bus. girl from the bus. I thought you were talking about the bus that couldn't slow down. <laughs> There's this <laughs> movie where the speed couldn't go below. If it's speed it's drop, speed below. drop below, it would explode. I think it was called the bus <laughs> that couldn't slow down. Anyway, we had to delay daylight. The one you know we missed the week, but uh, si- since then we haven't missed a week, and I was worried that this would be tough. But still, yes, this this season has gone on a long time. So I'll be glad to kind of uh, wrap up with Rocky, Rocky Balboa. Balboa, which is a movie that I love. I, I know you've seen it. but I've I'm, seen it, and I don't think I've seen it since I saw it for the first time. And I don't remember if I saw it in theaters with you. I think, yeah, I thought so. I think so. And I haven't seen it since then. My memory, actually, I, I 
tell me if this rings a bell because if you remember this, then I definitely saw it with you. Is there's a moment in Rocky Balboa? Maybe it's better to talk about it next episode, but um, where, uh, uh, where uh, God, I'm tired. <laughs> What's his damn name? His trainer, uh, Duke. Where Duke is is kind of talking up Rocky, and he he he's like, "You're too old to, for speed. We just gotta, you know, heavy duty punching power. That's all we gotta do." And then he just goes, and he cracks his neck, and he goes, "Let's start building some hurting bombs." And I just cracked up laughing in the theater. <laughs> I do remember. Okay, yes. Then I saw it with you. It was the combination of him cracking his neck. <laughs> Let's start building some hurting bombs. I just loved it. <laughs> it was not laughing at the movie. I was just, I was enjoying it you so much. I, started, I, I was, I was just enjoying it. Yeah. I love Rocky Balboa. It's either my second or third favorite Rocky. I'm really looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it as well. In a couple ways. I actually, I remember liking it, but again, I don't remember how much. And I think now it will resonate more with me because I probably had seen the Rocky movies, but not sequentially like the way we've been we're watching them and discussing them. Sure. So I can guarantee you when I saw it, I didn't know who Spider Rico was. There's no way that I, I know now that, you know, he's, there's no way that I, if I knew it, I didn't know who he was. Now, Spider Rico has an entirely <laughs> different connotation and knowledge for me. So, well, that's good because that'll be relevant to watching Rocky Balboa. Yeah, and I, I vaguely remember him being in it a decent amount, or you know, whatever. So, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to that, and I'm also looking forward, you know, frankly, to also getting now to kind of our. Uh, there's a couple of movies that were delayed into our final season, like. You're right, cliffhanger. I've been like, the way you want to get to Rocky movies, like when we're trudging through some of this stuff, I so badly, I, it's going to take everything. I I, I want to get the cliffhanger. It's, it's the fireworks factory for me. You got to keep well, one good one in our back pocket. Yes. This is the true, because we kept true lies until the final Arnold season. Yeah. So this is the true lies of uh, Stallone. And Catalan. so for all those reasons, I'm, I'm excited to get to Rocky Balboa and I'm excited to get to basically the last quarter of, of Stallone. So. Yeah, we're entering the home stretch. We shouldn't count our chickens yet. We have we got to finish this season before we start talking about uh, entering our final season. There's a lot of movies to do. Yeah, and this last season is going to be longer because there are more movies have been made. Since... He keeps making movies. Yeah. He's got another one. Uh, um, I forget what it's called, but he was filming a movie when COVID all hit. So I don't know if he finished filming it, but there's another one coming down the pipe. We're never going to finish. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, as long as we just got to keep up, we're just you know, as long as, you can't make a movie every two weeks, so the, the, yeah, right. at some point we will. Catch well, it. I guess we are. We're slowly chopping, chopping down the the yeah. tree. Yeah, it's like uh, you know when Rocky chopped down the trees in <laughs> Rocky Four. Yeah, they carried that log in Rocky Two across the the park. You know, it's true. We got to take inspiration uh, from Rocky. If he could run up those steps. We can run up the steps that is this podcast. If there's somebody to inspire you, it is definitely Rocky Balboa. So that's going to be our next show. But in the meantime, if you've liked the show, please like us on your podcast app of choice. Maybe write us a favorable review or maybe hit us up on Twitter at Arms Race Podcast. Yeah. And if you like the show and you have a friend or family who you think might like the show, I think we've we've weirdly hit a stride recently. I don't know if it's the movies. We've finally gotten a couple of good movies in a row. It between, helps. Yeah, that, that, that helps. <laughs> it, the material. We're not that good. It really helps to have better material. Yeah, and, may, and maybe it's just because this podcast has become a nice distraction from the horror that is, that is the world. That's Hopefully we serve that purpose for people listening also, <laughs> just like a respite. So maybe that's why. But it's like, yeah. It's you know there were there have been periods I, you know I like Stallone movies more than you but there have been periods where this whole stuff's been a it's grind. It's been work, but I feel like uh, there's a second wind coming, so now's a good time to tell people about our podcast. Absolutely, get them on board. All right, All right we'll be back with Rocky Balboa. <laughs> <laughs>